You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, Frankie. Hey, Adam. You know how in this upcoming episode, we talk about our merch and our merch store and how it's coming soon? Yes, I do know this. Surprise! (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's out now. It's open now. And you can get there. (gasps) Wow. Lovely people by going to thelaboursofercule.com. Or you can use our link tree, Frankie, which is... Linktree.com slash laboursercule. What kind of merchandise can people find? on our exciting new shop crikey you might as well ask what they can't find what can't they find <laughs> hoodies <laughs> oh. <laughs> books notebooks pens but anyway let's focus on what you can find my favorite oh. uh, is the t-shirt that i'll be getting first it's lemon in color and wearing it proclaims you team lemon i want to say a shout out to my friend james davis who designed a coin-based T-shirt, everyone. You know the coin. If you listen to this podcast, you know the, the coin I'm talking about. Uh, so you can get quids in with tomorrow. Have you been onto the description of that one? Walk, <laughs> walk with the confidence of Poirot, but without the discomfort. <laughs> This coin foot. Uh, this special edition quids and t-shirt will let the world at large know that you know a secret. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And don't worry. You can have the dirty swine mug. Show your personality through crockery. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a surefire way for people to know. <gasps> Who wouldn't want Hastings' lovely face on the coffee mug? You can also get a Dirty Swine t-shirt. Wow. There's something for everything on the Labours of Hercule shop, you're saying. (laughs) It really is, yeah. As long as you don't want a hoodie. (laughs) Why aren't we doing hoodies then? There's also a t-shirt that proclaims you Jap of the Yard. Oh, strike again. Be the envy of all your fellow lawmen with this tribute to Scotland Yard's finest, Jap of the Yard. Oh, <laughs> That's exciting. And finally, there is one more t shirt. Of course, we couldn't do a t shirt, we couldn't do a merchandise range without including this particular design because it would be damned offensive. Damned offensive <laughs> if we didn't. <laughs> God, you should read the uh, you should read the description of that one. Never let a bounder get away with another slight against you. <laughs> with <laughs> with Mr. Waverly damned offensive t-shirt emblazoned <laughs> with the podcast legend most legendary phase, the perfect garment for that tricky social situation. Just envision yes. people, you know, every time uh, they get caught with someone they don't like it uh, by just gently pointing towards the phrase on their t-shirt yeah because I've been doing that the whole time but I didn't have the t-shirt so I was just pointing at my tits <laughs> and that just like made it really awkward if it's perfect it's they say a t-shirt is worth a thousand words Do but that. you can have two on your shirt and that's even better isn't it what's a, what's a hoodie worth five words <laughs> okay that's why we didn't bother that's why we didn't bother it's not enough words what's that url again adam <laughs> the labors of or linktree.com 
slash Labour's Hercule. There'll be a link in the show notes of this episode. Just want to say, the lead times at the moment are sort of end of November to sort of mid-December if you order now. So if you are thinking about this for Christmas presents, then it's probably best you get an order in soon because they are made to order. So uh, when you order one, it gets nicely printed and shipped out from our partners. Gives them as much time as possible. Yes, and there'll be more designs coming in the future if you've Mm -hmm. got ideas. So so keep your eyes peeled and yeah we got this thought up and running just after we recorded the abc murders episode you will hear us talking about our upcoming merch store just to let you know it is now live we hope you don't lose your shirt in the purchasing of hey frankie oh hey adam <laughs> oh hi Didn't see you there there. yeah casual well seeing seeing as how we're on a zoom call anyway should we quickly record a two-hour podcast oh i mean a bit of of an imposition but i suppose so (laughs) (laughs) um i'll tell you what let's do it about one of the greatest ever christie stories the abc murders oh my goodness me oh my god this episode oh Mm. i've seen it many times i hadn't seen it for a while oh Mm. blew me away yeah, blows me away every time. And I particularly... Oh, God, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We're, I don't want to start, start gushing too early. But, well, we are going to do a bit of gushing now because we had some mm. quite exciting news, didn't we? Mm, we have. We've had quite exciting news. Now, for those of you who follow us on our socials, you will already be in the know. <laughs> but, uh, well, Frankie, why don't you spill the beans? Oh, I... Well... Okay, I don't feel worthy to even say say the name, but I'll do my best. Yeah, uh, guys, Pauline Moran's going to come on the podcast. Miss Lemon to you and I. <laughs> the icon, the legend, the purveyor of the perfect filing system, Miss Pauline Moran is mm-hmm. joining us. Oh my yes. God. At time of recording, we are just a few days away from speaking to Pauline Moran. Can't quite believe it. now. That means we've now had Hugh Fraser, mm-hmm. Captain Hastings, and we're now going to have Pauline Moran, Miss Lemon. I mean, Frankie, this is incredibly exciting news. Yes. We're endeavouring, let's just say, making it our mission to um, to see to it that we explore all possible ways of talking to the Whitehaven Four for this podcast. Is that that's that's should we say a safe way of? That's that's fair to say. Yes. I'm trying not to build up anyone's expectations or... We're doing uh, the best we can. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But uh, it's... Hey, guys, though, two out of four. That ain't bad. It's an absolute thrill. Because Pauline Moran (laughs) is not just an icon of the Poirot world. For those of you who are so inclined to like horror films, you will know her as the original Woman in Black from 1989. Also, something of a musician... Yes. Uh, as well, in her younger days. She's an incredible lady. She's an absolute, I can't, I mean, goodness mm. me, how many people have written into us about Miss Lemon in the past? Oh. Yeah, and she'll be on the show. She is coming onto the show. It's all confirmed. Yep. It's all happening. She's looking forward to speaking uh, about her time on Poirot. Um, we did put a clarion call out on the socials. If you have any comments for Miss Lemon herself, Pauline Moran, or any questions, then please do send them in as soon as possible. 
You will have a couple of days, Grace, from the release of this episode to our speaking to Pauline Moran. So for goodness sake, don't waste any time. Get your comments and questions in as soon as possible. Absolutely. Very exciting. Coming soon. Oh. <laughs> Felicitations. Felicities. Nice. Thank you. You've done all you want today. You've done good work. I've earned it. <laughs> you really, you really have. <laughs> Thanks. I like that. That's my reward that I get to be myself. For an episode. It's excruciating at all other times. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm aware. So thank you for tolerating me because we're going to have a little squeeze of lemon coming soon. Yes, we are. <sighs> Hastings and Miss Lemon have been on this show. We're going to be able to say that very soon. I love the amount of people that have messaged being like, don't mention the fan fiction conversations. (laughs) Don't mention Christmas. Don't mention the fan fiction. (laughs) I mean, but the thing is, we're so close to Christmas. I think it's going to slip out. And Mm. and the comments. (laughs) Well, she's a very attractive woman, so I'm not surprised. Uh, Yes, so it's going to be so super fun. And also the other thing that really warmed my cold, dead heart was the amount of people that were like, oh my God, this is a huge get. This is amazing. Like they were happy mm. for us with it, which is like, oh, yeah. thanks guys. It's so nice. I, I, I mean, I think, I don't think she's that active in the entertainment world these days. No, so I don't think so. It's not, it's really huge, huge, huge get. And especially because, you know, I'm not trying to be big headed or anything, but the show is, the show is doing incredibly well at the moment, isn't it? I mean, yeah. in terms of down, if it gets soaring, um, I mean, it's charting all over the place and it's, uh, for some reason, it just seems to have sort of caught the public's imagination at the moment. So for her to be joining us now is is really, really exciting. So big yes. headline news, folks. Miss Lemon, mm. Pauline Moran is going to be on the show in in the coming days and it's going to be really amazing. I can't wait to talk to her. <laughs> Me too. Oh my God. Oh God, what an icon. What a time. It really is. What time to be alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, when it when it comes to the other members of the Whitehaven Four, let's just say plans are afoot, aren't they? Yes. We, we may have we may have another announcement very, very soon. <laughs> very close, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> Keep you updated, everyone. So watch the mm. socials and see yes. there could be news. <laughs> There's one more thing I quickly want to just yeah. just put out there, um, and that is the i know we're only not even halfway yet but when it comes to our big climax to this show which we've always said will be a screening of curtain wouldn't it be amazing if um we had special guests that would be amazing the key will be for me to not be myself too much when we record with them and so that they don't get scared (laughs) away so yes yes we'll see what we can do everyone and uh can't wait to share it with you Yes, can't wait. <laughs> What's the other exciting piece of news, Adam? Uh, our merchandise store is about to go live. Aww. So let's just say that if if you are Team Lemon, you're going to be very, very happy. And if you are Team Hastings or Team Jap, or even if you're just damn defensive, <laughs> then you've got, <laughs> you've got some uh, marvellous items to choose from. So the store will be going live, I think, within the week of the release of this episode. So we will put a link in the show notes of this and all future episodes and all the back catalogue at some point as well, just in case yeah. you're 
you're catching up on episodes from a while ago. But uh, yeah, if you want to browse the merch, and let me tell you, there's some very fun stuff. Yes. <laughs> fun stuff indeed. Including uh, a walking aid. Which <laughs> 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 I really oh, love. Yeah, it was going to be, yeah, there's something for everyone on the Labours of Hercule <laughs> merchandise shop. But, uh, and also, if people have ideas for things they'd like to see in the future on the merch, like any mm-hmm. design things, let us know because we're open to we're open to suggestion on that. <laughs> so, yeah. I have to say as well, um, we've managed to sort of, I don't know how we've managed to do it, but I, I don't think the prices are that, like, you know, I no. see a lot of merchandise for shows coming out and I'm like, oh, I'd like that, but it's quite pricey. These are pretty good, aren't they? <laughs> really reasonable. Not, like, I'm, and yeah. And we've been assured very good quality, so you're not getting mm. the trash with it. But yeah, no, I, yep. I think I think everybody will be pleasantly surprised. Though so, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be lit. It's, it's going to be <laughs> damned offensive. It's everywhere. Damned offensive. <laughs> you're damned offensive. Dirty yes. swine. Dirty swine. And you might even find a dirty product option too. Swine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait to see pictures on socials, by the way. Oh my god, yes. Hashtag hashtag labor's merch, I think. Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly, but it's already exciting. But if you anyone buys any merchandise, please tag us on social media because we want to see them. Yeah, I want to see them in use. Coming there is so much exciting stuff this week. And to top it all off, we're talking about God. The Prince of Poirot episodes yeah. as well. Before we get there, though, uh, let's quickly just say again, Miss Lemon's coming on the show. <laughs> Giddy. Oh, boy. And uh, yes, uh, do we have any correspondence? We do. Also, just to say, Miss Lemon coming on has given us a real zest for life. So, yeah. Pardon, I don't understand that. <laughs> well, why it's funny is... Um, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one of these days. Uh, we we do have a lot of emails. As Adam kind of said, we've had quite an increase in downloads lately, which is amazing. And we're so grateful to everyone that listens. Like you all so much. It's wonderful. And for everyone that takes the time to write in, we have had a lot of emails come in and I read every single one of them. I absolutely love it. But it's going to be a little bit trickier to get them all in the episodes now without it just being an episode of us reading you emails. So <laughs> apologies if we don't get to yours this week. I will endeavour to get everyone's read out at some point. But just to let you know, it's because you're all too good is the problem. And uh, we mm, just... You're all too sweet. Yeah. And so please don't let that deter you from emailing. I love to get them. It's just, yeah, kind of cram them all in. So... Yes. We are sort of coming up with a way of applying to everyone, aren't we? But which we'll also announce very soon, which may, may require some, shall we say, um, extra ways of communicating with people. But um, yes, for now, having seen and having heard about how many uh, communications we are getting per show, it, it might be necessary for us to leave a couple out. But if yours doesn't get read out straight away, don't worry, it will be. It's just that we're, uh, we did, especially with the longer episodes coming up. So we'll do a couple yeah. or pick a few and then we'll do some more next time. Great. So we had an email from Nassim and the subject line is, what a poor, effectively wonderful podcast. Wowza. What a <laughs> subject line. You know what I like, Nassim. You knew how to wow, get my attention. How did, how did you instantly become Frankie's deity? Of my new best friend. 
And they say, Dear Frankie and Adam, I recently discovered your podcast through the excellent reels on your Instagram page, and I'm now hooked. Hey, it works. Yeah. A few years ago, when my partner and I had just started dating, I mentioned how much I love, love Agatha Christie. He responded with, oh, I really enjoyed the new Murder in the Orient Express by, movie by Kenneth Branagh. I gasped. Hmm. If I had been wearing pearls, I would have clutched them. I immediately made him watch some of the David Suchet's excellent Poirot series and cured him of that affliction. And we are now engaged. <laughs> how cool is that? What's the moral of that story, do you think? Uh, I think it's curing people of unfortunate afflictions and um, yeah, overcoming obstacles when your partner lets you down or disappoints you um, with terrible choices. Just, just checking. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> just checking you understood the underlying message of that. I meant for you. I'm trying to fix you. <laughs> Me never. <laughs> damned offensive. You're damned offensive. Nassim says a quick question for you both. Has the these two people are secretly the same person plot ever worked for you while watching an Agatha Christie story on screen? For me, it worked in this series in, and there is a spoiler to say this, so I don't know if to say the episode name or I'll not. I'll tell you what, you, t- you tell me and we'll bleep it out. Make okay. Sure bleep it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need to reacquaint myself with that story. I remember it vividly because it haunts me, that one. Uh, and they also say, looking forward to buying some of your awesome merch for Christmas. Thanks. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait um, to see people wearing it. By the way, we're not really making any money off it or anything like no, that. We no, just no, wanted no. some merch out there. No, no. It's like literally, I think we make about 2p off yeah. a t-shirt or something. It's like nothing at all. But we just want to see people in these amazing garments. Yes. <laughs> cannot wait. And that is a good question about whether the double disguise thing has ever worked for us. Hmm. I think it has to be. Uh, well, you you give me your thoughts first because I always go first. Well, no, because because you know the important the one first. No, just because I value your opinions. <laughs> I'm trying oh, to be nice. On, Jesus. I can't bloody win <laughs> on this podcast. I, th- I think it's incredibly difficult to pull off because you have to disguise a person, but also you have to film them in a certain way that your eyes not looking at them. I mean, you you got a kind of perfect example is Hunter's Lodge. Yes, where they focus in on the villain so much and mm-hmm. you all you do is look at them and think god that person looks strange because why are they wearing jam jar anyone wears jam jar glasses in a detective sh- mystery show yeah he's instantly the villain you don't or even you know they've definitely got something to hide yeah i don't know they just don't seem to be able to use subtlety so i think oh i'm ranting but um, yes i think it's incredibly difficult to pull off it's, it's it, you know you can see why the plot was used in literature because you can't see the people yes uh, you're just yeah. having them described to you and you know unfortunately that is the, the the plot of many agatha christie stories but saying that abc murders in a way in sort a way of. it's presenting someone as something yeah. they are meant to be and then later on you go what so, yes you know i mean it just yeah depends i, I have to say you got a masterpiece coming up if you've not seen the abc murders it's one <sighs> of the only episodes i'm going to insist you go and watch absolutely this because um yeah yeah sorry. yes <laughs> anyway your thoughts yes i agree with everything you have said i think they do get better at it as they go along in the series i don't know if the they makeup do. budget had run out for hunter's lodge and they just had the worst uh disguise of all time lying around left behind mm-hmm. but it does get better there's another episode that i'm not going to name where it's another that happens again uh later down the line and i think it, they do a better job of it so i think 
Hmm. You take it with a pinch of salt. I'll tell you what, actually, if you think about the episodes that we've seen it in so far, Million yeah. Dollar Bond Robbery yeah. is laughably bad. I mean, it's yeah. Hunter's Lodge level. Yep. You know, with her, all the accent, it just is so obviously her. But, I mean, Plymouth Express, I think, does it quite well. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, because it's so subtle. And yes. because they don't make a huge thing about, you know, the person who is playing someone else. You know, is she, is she just a background character and very much yeah. sort of kept in the background? It's almost like that would have worked much better if they didn't let in Hunter's Lodge. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Tough one. But yeah, thank you very much for your email, Nassim. That is a great, great question. question. This is just a really... There, look, we're going to have a little bit of loveliness, just loveliness. There's no necessarily question. Just people are so lovely. So in conclusion, lovely. Uh, this is an email from Laura. And she said, it, the subject line is an absolute delight. Uh, and she says, Hi, Frankie and Adam. I must admit that this is the first time I've ever sent a message to a podcast. My sister recommended The Labours of Hercule to me a few weeks back, and I've been binge listening ever since. I've been reading Poirot books and watching the series since I was eight years old, and your podcast brings me an immense amount of joy. It's comforting, funny, and entertaining. I know almost all of the Poirot episodes by heart, and I'm re-watching them again thanks to you two. And that's from Laura in Finland, another location wow. for the tour. Hi, Laura. And thank you so much. That's such a lovely message. Thank you. So lovely. And I'm glad you're able to finish the series. <laughs> She's from Finland. <laughs> oh, is that why you said it? Yes, that's why it's funny. Right. Yeah. As we know, the best <laughs> jokes are the ones you have to explain why they're funny. Sorry. People. I was a bit Oslo on the update. Oh, there. and he's back. Okay. <laughs> you can stay. We like you now. Uh, this is an email uh, from Pete. Uh, and he says, hello, Frankie and Adam. Firstly, thank you for helping me earn some serious dad points. I previously emailed and sent a picture of my poor birthday card my daughter made for me for my birthday. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yep. When you discussed it on the podcast, I gathered my family around, Denouement style, and played wow. it for them. I know. A massive <laughs> smile on my daughter's face. The, the massive smile on my daughter's face at your lovely comments was brilliant. However, she now tells me that she is magnifique and a genius on a regular basis as a result. <laughs> just do what I do when they get uh, too uppity. You just starve them for a few days until they get their shits and go, ah, feeling okay. now, are we? <laughs> well, so I may need a new podcast host because I think Adam's going to be arrested quite soon. <laughs> I don't know. People like controversy these days. So. That's true. And they hate children being nutritionally sound. It's just the worst. <laughs> No, I remember. I remember Isla's artwork. It was lovely. Yes, yes. very good. It was magnifique, and she is a genius. So, what are you going to do? Is. Hey, Isla. Hey, Isla. Um, he says anyway. Loving your work and still catching up on the back catalogue. I thought I'd share. I'd also share a new thing I'm trying to implement. Thanks to your chats. If my wife and I have a drink of an evening, I w- we will always do a cheers first. I have now altered this and have introduced a Poirot-inspired toast. The proposer will raise their glass and proclaim, Dirty swine. Dirty swine. And the response will be, <laughs> You're damned offensive. You're damned offensive. <laughs> How good is that? That is amazing. Got some raised eyebrows initially, but it's firmly bedding in now. The next step is to widen it to a larger group. Wish me luck. <laughs> <laughs> luck. Luck. Uh, you dirty swine. What a damned you offensive damn idea. Defensive. Oh my God. 
I love that that's our legacy, by the way. Me too. We're going to bury us side by side <laughs> on our stones. <laughs> Dirty swine. Dirty swine. Damn defensive. You're damned offensive. Yeah, no, no names or dates or anything. <laughs> and everyone will know. Yep, that's yeah. it. If you know, you know. And you, you will yeah. all know. Uh, he says, thanks, for, as always. And really looking forward to Pauline Moran making an appearance. Uh, will be a superb listen. We're excited too. We're excited too, oh, Pete. In case you hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a bit excited. I'm going to have to get myself one of those little fans. Yeah. So just keep, keep the old airflow going. Uh, an email here from Elizabeth. And the subject line is Suchet all day. And she says, hi, Frankie. Hi, Adam. I just finished catching up on your wonderful podcast. So now feel I'm ready to reach out with my words of thanks and also an idea. First, thank you. It's been so heartwarming to finally find a community that loves Poirot as much as I do. I wasn't clever enough to have the theme song in my wedding like Frankie, but I did honeymoon in Belgium. I've also visited the building used for Whitehaven Mansion the last time I was in London and tried to buy the cologne Poirot purchased at Geo Trumpers. But alas, <laughs> the staff were unable to confirm which one he chose. Damned offensive. You're damned offensive. Dirty <laughs> Damned offensive. <laughs> Damn, damn defensive smell. Um, he says, I think I've come up with an idea for Frankie to be able to watch the new slash abominable horror films and maybe even enjoy them. And this is quite a theory she has here. So, Adam, let's see what you think of this. This, if this will okay. help me. Go on. Mm. This isn't a stretch of the imagination, but made sense when I explained it to my husband recently. Imagine Poirot is at home at Christmas time with his demi kilo of chocolates, books, and warm radiators. The remaining Whitehaven three, full of holiday cheer, decide to visit a pub together for a nightcap. As Poirot famously never discusses his case to the public, after a few drinks, they decide to regale a small group of locals one of his more interesting cases. As they tell the story, they tend to get a bit tipsy, and the details become slightly inaccurate, but entertaining to the in increasingly inebriated crowd. Jap, this is so detailed by the way, I'm loving this, Jap, on his fourth pint decides Poirot should have a much larger moustache in the story. In fact, it looks like two moustaches stacked on top of one another, hiding a hideous scar. Miss Lemon decides to add some loving backstory to Poirot in this alcohol-fueled rendition, even though she knows it isn't true. It feels right as she sips her sixth sherry. <laughs> Captain Hastings, <laughs> while quickly downing another whiskey, manages to portray his detective companion in a more swashbuckling way than anyone has ever heard before. As they all get more and more in one's cups, quote unquote, the story gets more and more ridiculous. There's even accounting for the problematic actors, including in the film. They were just suggestions from creepy regulars at the bar who shouldn't be able, shouldn't have been able to contribute. But now think of it. You see, the Kenneth Branagh films aren't real. They're simply a weird monkey's poor wish that somehow became true after a night of Christmas drinking and debauchery. Uh, let me know if my method works for you and keep up the great work. And that's from Liz in Philadelphia. Yowza. Hey, Liz. I tell you what, that's such a great plan that I'm going to insist that now before every single screening of the <laughs> Kenneth Branagh Poirot film, that plan comes up in text yep. at the beginning. <laughs> it has to. It has to. Yep. Or if you're going to go and watch it, you have to get as drunk as she's described in that email. Can do. <laughs> done and done. That's a great plan. 
Yeah, just saw your post about getting Miss Lemon on the show. That's so awesome. Congratulations and cannot wait to hear the episode. We can't wait either. I know, right? Who? Oh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But yes, that is amazing. Uh, What a great theory. I love how detailed it was. You've really thought about Mm. that. And um, I'm going to give it a try. When we eventually watch the episode, the films together... That will be what I am thinking inside. I'm looking forward to Frankie seeing the film, so I think she's going to realise that they're not as bad as all that. And, um, uh, you know, prejudices aside, it's going to be fun experiencing even more Poirot. So, um, yes. Yeah, just nod and agree. That's right. I'm smiling. Uh, Everything's fine. <laughs> that's a rictus grin if I've never seen one. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I've had a few emails from people saying that they feel a similar way as I do, about the films. But we're going to get through this together as a family. So the yeah. people that are feeling the same way, a little bit apprehensive about it, we're all the, we're in on this together, guys. We, we'll get through this. We can do this. It will be worth it in the end. Cool. We also had a couple of reviews come in, which is... Oh, really? Su- yes, I know. Right. Well, I'll wait to hear those. They are. I have to, reviews are really, really helpful. So if you do like the podcast and you wouldn't mind if you have a spare minute, we'd mm. very much appreciate a review, especially they're re- if it's They're really hard to get as well. They're really, yes. um, yeah, they're like unicorn feces, shall we say. So, um, yeah, so if you, if you don't <laughs> mind, if you don't mind and you are enjoying the show, then um, not only does it pump the algorithm in all kinds of fascinating ways and help us get seen by more shows, it, uh, it it's uh, also... a it's like a, it's like having a medal on a shirt, you know. So yes, a five-star medal across yeah. uh, chests. It's like Poirot's cologne, almost. You know, it finishes him off. From from Trumper, don't, the perfume Trumper. Don't, don't, don't make a joke. Don't make a joke about wanting to finish Poirot. I didn't say anything like that. I was talking about uh, the perfume Trumper, Mister Trumper. Cool. Your favorite <laughs> perfume. I forgot about him. That was your favorite joke. No. no. It was my most successful joke. Oh, the one that you've repeated the most for yourself. Uh, The (laughs) lovely review from Michelle N2000. The subject line is fantastic with five stars. So thank you, Michelle. And she says, I've always been an Agatha Christie fan for many years. This podcast is one I didn't know I needed. It's fantastic. Love Frankie and Adam. They make it so fun to rewatch Poirot. Love getting to put my little grey cells to work. Thank you both so much. Aww. Thank you very How much. nice is that? And there is one more lovely review to read from H Coffee. Uh, and it's Monju, another five stars. Thank you so much. Uh, and they say, I grew up thoroughly obsessed with the writings of Agatha Christie and her brilliant detectives. And this podcast is perfection for such a lifelong nerd. Thank you so much for its creation. And please do continue. Oh, we're definitely going to continue. And in the company of Miss Freaking Lemon next Oh, time. my so. God. <laughs> All right. Oh, that is, oh, I, yeah, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. Thank you for the lovely reviews. Thank you for the lovely messages. As Frankie pointed out at the beginning of the show, we do have a lot of them. And um, if yours wasn't read this time, we, we will do it. I promise yeah. you. It's just that this episode, being a feature length one, we just wanted to get to it as soon as possible. And um, we would have spent half the show reading emails, um, which I'm sure you don't want. <laughs> so uh, we will get to another crop of messages next time. Yes. And also Miss Lemon's coming on very um, soon. Just wanted to mention that. Did we mention that 
Um, Pauline Moran is coming on the podcast. Uh, really pleased. <laughs> no, we didn't. Let's do it again. Okay. Woo-hoo! Adam, who's coming on the podcast? Uh, I don't know. Who's coming on the podcast? Please let me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. Um, yes. But before we get to the episode, of course, we have some quizzing to catch up on, don't we, Frankie? Yes, we do. Last time, we didn't have a quiz because we were a bit stacked, so we promised you double the quizzing this time. So for those of you who want to play along, grab yourself some paper and a pen, jot your answers down as we go, and we'll be checking those later in the show. Frankie, do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? I've just realised that the format of my quiz might not work very well for the answering later part. So, Oh, really? Mm. Okay, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what then. I'll give you my questions now because mine do. Okay, and we'll do you our, mine at the end? We'll, we'll do yours at the end. Deal? Deal. Okay, deal. Okay. So two okay. two quizzes? What? For the price of one. I mean, you, you know, what value? What value do you get from this show? Okay. So my quiz is called, to tie into this episode, the ABC of Poirot. Okay. Because every question has an A, B, or C multiple choice answer. Okay. Very clever. Yep, I like it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, so question one. Christopher Gunning was rewarded with a BAFTA for his music for Poirot in which year? Was it A, 1989, mm-hmm. B, 1990, or C, 1991? Uh... <laughs> It's just A, B, or C. I know, I know that. I'm just thinking because okay, so the show aired in 1989, but would the BAFTA have been the same year, or would it have been the following year? I'm going to go B. I'm going to go B. I'm going to go B. Okay. Everyone at home is always screaming at me, being like, "It's not B, Frankie, you idiot." (laughs) Uh, Number two in Belgium, Mm -hmm. a municipality claims to be the birthplace of Hercule Poirot. This is real. As David Suchet found out when he visited the area in his documentary Being Poirot, what is the name of that municipality? Is it A, Elzels? Is it B, Andelect? Or C, Kortenberg? I'm closing my eyes and I'm trying, because I've listened to the audiobook of Poirot's book I've listened to it and it would have been in that surely so I'm trying to I'm trying to close my eyes and imagine him saying it um, could you read them one more time please when you finish your sip thank you I wasn't sipping one I don't do that uh, was it A <laughs> dirty swine dirty swine <laughs> A Elzel B Anderlecht or C Kortenberg I'm going to go with A okay number three During the very same visit, David Suchet was shown a document apparently attesting to the birth date of Hercule Poirot. Which date does that very document claim is the birth date of Hercule Poirot? Oh my god. I know. (laughs) Is it A, April Fool's Day, B, Shrove Tuesday, or C, Christmas Day? I have seen this documentary, but it's been a while. I'm going to go with A. Okay. Because the Shrove Tuesday's date will change. There's no hard and fast date. But Shrove Tuesday on the year he was born. Oh, I see. I thought you meant every year. 
Anyway. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, number four. Which Poirot story was rewritten by Christie so as to replace Poirot with Parker Pine as the investigating detective? Was it A, the market basing mystery, B, the incident of the dog's ball, or C, the regatta mystery? I laughed at dog's ball. Uh, C. Basically, she wrote it as a Poirot story and then decided to make Parker Pine the star, so she rewrote it with him. So you're going with, sorry? C. B. These are all guesses. I said C. Is B better? Which is better? (laughs) (laughs) You said B, the incident of the dog's ball. I said C. You said C now. You just. Well, I said okay. C the first time, but I just want to check if okay. which, one's the, which one's the better one to say. <laughs> it's up to you. Which one are you going ah! with? I, I would like you to, to give me a clue. <laughs> I can give you the um, the options again. But I'm really... <laughs> oh, God, you're no fun. I always give clues. Okay, fine. Uh, I'm going to stick with C. Okay. C for cat, Charlie. Okay. Uh, number five. Miranda Forbes, who plays Mrs. Turton in the ABC Murders, yes. is enjoying her second appearance in the Poirot TV series. Can you name the first episode in which she also appeared? Was it A, Double Sin, B, Triangle at Rhodes, or C, The Kidnapped Prime Minister? A. Okay. Oh, I'm going to get zero. I just know it. Number six. In Triangle at Rhodes, the murder victim is named after a time of year. Was her name A, June, B, Valentine, or C, April? <laughs> Crickets. Uh, uh, B. Okay. Uh, number seven. In The Adventure of Johnny Waverley, Poirot and Hastings famously enjoy ale for breakfast at a mm-hmm. pub. What is the real-life name of that pub? Oh, God. <laughs> is it A, The Lamb and Flag, B, The Bull and Butcher, or C, the stag and arrow? Uh, I'm going to go with A. Okay. I think I remember that, but I'm probably not. <laughs> Number eight. In How Does Your Garden Grow, mm-hmm. Hastings is left to hold the fort while Miss Lemon accompanies Poirot on the mission to find the poison. Miss Lemon, who's coming on Barrow our podcast, Bill. you mean? Is Sorry. she? Crikey, Yes. Um, while she's gone, Hastings pays a bill, much to Miss Lemon's displeasure. To who? Is it A... Mr. Trumper, B, Mr. Wickens, or C, Mr. Dalgleish? It's A. Okay. Number nine. In (laughs) Wasp's Nest, (laughs) in Wasp's Nest, Poirot visits a chemist in order to buy relief for a wasp sting. Mm -hmm. What is the name of the chemist? Is it A, Mrs. Henderson, B, Mrs. Belvedere, or C, Mrs. Harrison? Uh, C. Okay. It's so stressful. You're one more. In double clue, Poirot enlists the help of two private detectives in order to help escort Vera Rosikoff away to prevent her from causing any more trouble. Mm-hmm. What are the names of those two detectives? Is yeah. it A, Runcorn and Smike, B, Rufton and Chance, or C, Redfern and Blake? C. Okay. I know it. I have at least one right now. <laughs> um... You've done very well. Have I? Mm, Very well. Very, very well. Mm. You. (laughs) Very stressful. (laughs) 
Anyway, shall we go and uh, solve the murders? ABC? <laughs> Let's ABC if we can solve it. ABC, cool. yes. <laughs> so, before we go into this, I think we should probably just say, I mean, it's going to be wall-to-wall gushing on this. And, oh, it's a 10, 10, 10 all the way, isn't it? 10s across the board. 10 out of 10. Mm. If there was more a way to give higher than a 10, I'd probably give it because goddamn this episode mm. is parfait. Most of the correspondence we've had over the past year and a half of making this show has been, yeah. can't wait to talk about the ABC murders or ABC murders gets mentioned, you know, ad infinitum. I would say if you're new to Poirot and you're wondering where to jump in, this is probably the most incredible episode for you to jump in because as you have mentioned previously, it's Christy at her finest. Yes. I think her most celebrated book, I think probably, and then there were none, and then sort of Murder of Roger Ackroyd. But when it comes to TV adaptations, I would say this is the one. And oh, my God. perfect. Oh, my God. As I, I was, Adam and I were messaging the, uh, the other day about it, and I watched it, and I actually got a bit emotional about how good this episode is, because the performance <laughs> in it is so stunning and nuanced and oh my god yeah i mean we'll we'll get into it but oh boy what a joy this episode is it's just perfect absolutely perfect now um some of you may have seen the christmas adaptation a couple of years back starring yes which i can understand why a modern writer would think i'll tell you what this has the potential to be a lot grislier than um it's dark It's dark, dark stuff. I mean, it's, it's dark anyway. This this does feature a couple of killings that are wow, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, they've obviously tried to play up the the sort of sadism side and everything. But it did go over the top with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, it went over know. the top for it with it when they killed Jap, <laughs> uh, which I will never <laughs> ever get over. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, quickly, White Heaven Four. Mm, we're getting 75% of them again. Miss Lemon's not in this episode, unfortunately. Although there was potential for her to be in it. She but I think been. they were going... Yeah, but they've gone for... I mean, this is the first... I would say Parallel End House was the first sort of feature-length one, but they split yeah. it into two parts. It, that felt like two episodes put together, but it was great. Then they did uh, Mysterious Affair at Styles, which was, you know, a very big-budget affair, like, like we said at the time. This feels like the first one that could have been... At cinemas to me. Yes, it's I agree. So well directed. It's it's like it's it's a movie. This isn't a TV episode. This is a movie, and you can see that this kind of set the blueprint for what came later. One hundred percent. And it's worth noting that although Miss Lemon isn't in this episode, um, she's coming on our podcast really soon. I just don't know if we've mentioned that enough yet. Well, I can't wait. So we have Jap, and we have Poirot, and we have Hastings in this one. Jap comes into it. A little way into the thing. But the headline act of the thing is that Hastings has been away for some time, hasn't he? As we oh, find yeah. out the first scene. Poirot! Ah! Hastings! Ah! Oh, it's so good to have him home, even though I didn't even know, you know, you don't know he's been gone, but you really feel a proper homecoming with him, with his little suitcases. They're all about initials in this episode, by the way, in case you hadn't mm. guessed, because his and trunks. <laughs> yep. I want to know what his middle names are. A.J.M. Hastings. Well, should we find out? Yeah, because that is, I bet it's a majestic name. I'm going to guess 
Okay. Arthur yeah. J Jasper. Uh what could M be? Michael. Mortimer. <laughs> Michelangelo. Um... My God, he's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Judd Maud. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> <Jertim> wine. <laughs> Jam demensive. <laughs> no, um, don't know. Mystery. This is so weird. Just, everywhere just says his name is H.A.M. Hastings. It doesn't say anything about his... Maybe his, his maybe the initials, his middle name is just J and M, like the letters. They doesn't actually have a, mm. a name attached. A.J. Yeah, I can't, I can't find it. That's really odd. If anyone knows, please do message us because uh, I'm curious. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure. It's a slight derailment. Apologies. But yes, Hastings <laughs> is back. He's been away. We know that he has been up the Orinoco, uh, but he's brought mm. a friend back with him too, isn't he? He has. A very smelly friend. <laughs> Who is your friend, Hastings? Oh, this is Cedric. He's a Cayman. I shot him on the Orinoco, a few miles upstream from La Urbana. We'd been imported around white water all day, and I was pretty exhausted, I can tell you. And suddenly, what's that, old chap? You must tell me the story in full detail later. I think these gentlemen wish to get home to bed. Oh, right. The running gag throughout this whole episode is him trying to get the story of how he bagged Cedric the Crocodile <laughs> somewhere on the river, and it's the most adorable thing ever, because every time he starts telling the story, <laughs> he is instantly cut off by either Poirot or Jap or whoever else is yeah. in the room. But don't worry, it's got a wonderful payoff later. It really does. But yeah, um, Poirot's been in something of a funk because he hasn't had a decent case in months. So, how have you been these last six months? Busy? No. The little grey cells, I fear, they grow the rust. When the date approached for your return, I said to myself, now something will arise. We will hunt again together, we two. Sorry. But it must be no common affair, Hastings. It must be something recherché, delicate, fine. Anyone would think you were ordering dinner at the Ritz. But the the arrival of Hastings will undoubtedly bring the arrival of something exciting. And actually, there is the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The potential for a case brewing as he arrives, which Poirot fills him in on as he gets back to Whitehaven, where he is staying with him. They're having a little sleepover while he gets settled in and gets his apartment back in London so cute because he oh. assumes he's going to be going back to you know discomfort and machines yeah. over chairs and things but Poirot says oh my goodness gracious no I thought we were going to my hotel first there is no hotel Hastings until you can reclaim your apartment you stay with Poirot oh, I say yeah as you say though Poirot and Hastings enter the apartment and uh, they're just settling in and Hastings happens to mention that what did you mean by that comment downstairs that perhaps something is brewing? Poirot reveals that he's received a letter um, which he hands to Hastings and Hastings is good enough to read. Mr Hercule Poirot, you fancy yourself, don't you, at solving mysteries that are too difficult for our poor, thick-headed British police. Let us see, Mr Clever Poirot, just how clever you can be. Perhaps you'll find this nut too hard to crack. Look out for Andover on the 21st of the month. Yours sincerely, ABC. Yes, thank God he reads them all out so we can just drop them in. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's going to be very handy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> makes it a lot easier. But yeah, it's a very intriguing letter. He asks Hastings what, who he, what he thinks about it. And they say, it must be written by a madman. This is a crazy letter, the ramblings of a lunatic. Uh, but they do wonder whether they should go to Andover or not. 
It's already in hand, isn't it, really? He's already reported it to Jap. They, they yes. go along to Jap's office and uh, Jap has not taken it very seriously. He's taken it about as seriously as uh, Hastings as yeah. well. He's just from some madman. They get a hundred of them every week. Can we also just say uh, the superb burn that Jap administers on Hastings upon his return to the country? <laughs> He's been back for three minutes. He comes Welcome in. Welcome back, Baldy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, slaphead. Did you get sunburn on your bald head, did you, in the Orinoco? Well, well, well. If it isn't Captain Hastings back from his holidays in the wilds of what you may call it. Sit down, sit down. Looking well, too. Getting a bit thin on top, though, eh? Oh, don't know. You'll be rivaling Mr. Poirot soon. Brutal, brutal savage return from Chap. <laughs> oh, but it's great. It's great. So Jap, who was informed about the letter by Poirot uh, before their visit, has actually passed the details on to Andover, and uh, no one seems very concerned. The problem is that Poirot reminds Jap that it's now the 22nd, the day after the letter said something awful would happen, so why doesn't he just give Andover a call just to see if anything untoward has happened? And it turns out that the day before, the 21st, uh, a murder took place in a tobacco and newspaper shop that seems a little bit suspicious. Uh, a lady was battered to death. Uh, she was the shop owner, and her name, dun dun dun, was Alice Asher. And you may not think that's very significant at this point, but if you consider the name of this episode and uh, the name of the writer of the letter, then perhaps you can see where this is going. Yes, especially when they also discover in the newsagents a copy of the ABC Railway Guide. So it's all very alphabetical at the moment, very intriguing. But instantly, despite the letter and all of the evidence that something really, really weird is going on here, the local police instantly think that Alice Asher was murdered by her husband uh, because he, in his defence does have a history of being abusive. He doesn't sound like a very nice person. He's made quite a few nasty threats to his wife. And also, as if it wasn't bad enough, he's German. Yes. Oh. Yeah, and Poirot does comment on the fact that they probably only suspect him because, you know, xenophobic. No one's seen him in the area. No one's seen him for weeks. He's probably, you know, he hasn't been cited in anything. The letter seems totally out of character with with him as well. So there were no Umlauts in it or anything, like not even remotely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no Durs or Dassies. <laughs> but uh, you know, they're, they're, as are all the police in these kind of preliminary investigations, all they want is a suspect, and they plump for the ex-husband. Let's talk about Alice Asher for a moment. She seems like I mean, because the, the interesting thing about this episode is. I think the victims and the people that surround them. So more than, more so than probably in any other episode, I would say. Yes, very much. So Alice Asher, first victim, tobacconist, very poor, very like a downtrodden, like a victim of life. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. Hmm. But as we learn from looking at some of her belongings, she was actually a very beautiful woman once, as Hastings hmm. <laughs> was very depressed to see. Very weird. <laughs> There's a lot of conversation about beauty in this episode that we'll get to more on later, but it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and she she doesn't really have anyone else. Obviously, she had this abusive husband. She's in. She works in a shop. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a unhappy existence, I guess. 
Yeah, like a meek, like a very meek lady. I've uh, mm. been battered down by you know, marrying the Literally. wrong guy, and yeah, and um, you know, she, I think she sort of the sense you get from what Poirot digs up about her is that she had accepted that she was never going to be a success in life and was happy just in her small corner of the earth. And all she had really was her niece, and she's quickly interviewed, and the same sort of story comes out, you know, poor auntie. All all she wanted was to be happy and just get along in life, and uh, wasn't even allowed to do that. But, um, yeah. Poirot makes um, a, a quick investigation of the scene. Any notable things? They they have a look around at her belongings. Mm. Yeah, she's got a few, as other than obviously the ABC guide that we've just referred to, but her personal belongings, there's a framed photo of her. There mm. is um, various kind of little, kind of, what's the word, little like tchotchkes. Yeah, little bric-a-brac. Yeah. Uh, there's a pair of stockings hung over the chair. Uh, there's, yeah, it's it's very quaint and, yeah, very sad. As you said, they speak to her niece, Mary Drower. Drower? Drower. One of those ones. Um, and yeah. she's in the service. <laughs> uh, she's a maid. Um, and she describes her as very steady, which I don't really know what that means. <laughs> but they use that a lot in this episode. Steady girl. Uh, but yeah, she as she, she said, confirms everything you said. But uh, she, she, you know, she says to Poirot, I'll help you however I can, but I, I don't really know what I can do. I don't really know if I can be much help. And he, perhaps with a, a touch of foreshadowing, says... Maybe you can help me later on. Maybe we can we can speak again about this. So mm. more to come on mm. Alice Asher and her niece. Very clever. Our murderer, he is in the dark and seeks to remain in the dark. But in the very nature of things, he cannot help to throw the light upon himself. So Alice Asher is dead, but uh, we don't pause there, do we? Because another letter has arrived. And Hastings, again, is on hand to read it. Dear Mr Poirot, well, the Andover business went with a swing, didn't it? First game to me, I think. But the fun's only just beginning. Let me draw your attention to Bexhill-on-Sea, date the 25th inst. What a merry time we are having. Yours sincerely, ABC. Good God. Good God. Oh, he's our, basically our third host at this point. He's just joining us <laughs> in for the narration. Thanks, Hugh. By the way, we'll text you later on. <laughs> oh, thanks, best friend, Hugh. <laughs> love you, miss you. Just because Miss Lemon's coming on doesn't mean we don't still love you, Hugh. We love you, Hugh Jamounts. Do pop around for drinks with Pauline. And- <laughs> <laughs> the next location is called out in this one, and it's Bexhill on Sea. So instantly they connect with the superintendent. Um, also, because I love The Simpsons, I just every time I read Super Nintendo Carter, I think of Superintendent Chalmers, and then obviously Super Nintendo Chalmers, right? Because anyway, and they just <laughs> they discuss the letters, and Poirot makes the pretty fair assumption at this point that the victim's surname will likely begin with a B, because he's mm-hmm. seeing the pattern here that's forming. There's a great line where he says, "Hopefully, he won't kill his way through the alphabet." It is possible that the surname of the intended victim will begin with the letter B. That would be something. I suggest it as a possibility no more. It came to my mind when I read the signature ABC on the first letter and again when I heard the name of the unfortunate woman in Andover. You mean first to Mrs. Asher in Andover, then someone beginning with B in Bexhill? Well, it's possible, I suppose. I mean, we are dealing with a madman. But so far he hasn't given us any clue as to his motive. Does a madman have any motive? Perhaps he's going to murder someone in every town of the alphabet all the way from Andover to... uh... Zenor. I've thought a lot about it, you see. (laughs) 
which is a village in Cornwall. See, I was going to look this up, but you've handily done it for us already. So thank you very much. Yeah, because I was like, where the hell is Zeta? I've never heard of that before. And yeah, it's in Cornwall. <laughs> but I want you now to talk about the next stuff that we see in this. There seems to be a bit of a cinematic theme running through this uh, yes. whole thing. Isn't it? I, 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 I kind of get the feeling that they were going for a movie anyway, like yeah. in, in terms of production. So perhaps they thought, oh, well, let's put a few references to movies in there. Um, so they, <laughs> we see Bexhill. It's a very, very uh, lovely sort of seaside town, picture postcard place, lots of tourists. Uh, and we zoom in on the, the B of a movie poster. Um, and it's a movie poster displaying a film called Strawberry Blonde. I mean, even you've looked this up, haven't you? The film, yep. the film it's actually showing is Platinum Blonde from 1931 with Loretta Young, Jean Harlow, and Robert Williams in it. But they chose to some for some reason alter the poster to turn it into Strawberry Blonde so that they could zoom in on the bee so that we could go, "Ooh, the, the bee's about to happen." But they've changed Loretta Young's name to Loretta Harlow. They've taken yeah. Jean Harlow off. It's very odd. I don't know why they did it. And they picked another name of another film, which is real yeah. as well. Yeah, from 1940. Yeah. Yeah, very strange. But, I mean, the poster looks cool. Like, it looks good. It looks cool. It looks authentic. Yeah. But, you know, for any classic movie aficionados, which I was one, I was like, why have they done that to Platinum Blonde straight away? Um, yeah, very odd. Um, also, as well, they, they do show clips from other films. Yeah. Later, which are... Uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. I'm just uh, as, as a film nut, I was a little bit like, oh, what? <laughs> That's really yeah. taking me out of the experience. Yeah. I know a few <laughs> of our listeners are as well, so we're probably all having the same thoughts about that. Even I, I mean, I'm still very new to the world of old films, but through Adam, I've learned a lot. And yeah, that was like, oh. And also, we've watched Strawberry Blonde in Adam's film club on a Sunday with <laughs> his Patreon. So, it was, and it's really fun. So if you like old films, I can't recommend The Secret History of Hollywood and the subsequent Patreon enough. So Thank you very there's much. my weekly plug. you know who's coming on the show? Who? Uh, so Felicity Lemon's going to be on the show. What? I know, right? What? <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the ABC murders. <laughs> yes. So they, there is a huge police presence brought into Bex Hill. They're like, right. We're going to get on top of this one. Anyone who's got a surname B, we're going to flood this place with police. And mm -hmm. they're feeling pretty cocky. They're feeling pretty good about their chances here. But Poirot is not so confident. And unfortunately, quite rightly, because the next morning, and sadly, the body of uh, a young woman is found on the beach in Bexhill by a dog. So they, they head on over there. She's got uh, a copy of the ABC Railway Guide with her as well. She's been strangled with her own belt. Uh, it's very sad. And her name is Elizabeth Betty Barnard. Barnard, yeah. So we've had now Alice Asher killed in Andover and we've had Betty Barnard killed in Bechtel. So there's a clear pattern. We are being warned that the victims will all have the same initial for first and surnames and they'll be killed in a place that matches. So, Betty Barnard. What do we know about Betty Barnard? Betty Barnard works at the Delaware Pavilion, where they were watching the film that we saw earlier. Mm -hmm. And she she has a sister who we also meet as well, Megan. There, as you say, it's that reliance on the close relation family member in this one is quite big. Yeah. Uh, but Megan speaks quite candidly about her sister. She is she has a boyfriend who she's been seeing for quite a long time called Don Donald Frazier. 
Uh, and they are she's seeing him, but that's not going to stop Betty going out with some other men. And she meets quite a few men working at the theatre. And she does like a bit of a, a flirtation and a bit of a night out on the town with a young man uh, who may have charmed her. So they think potentially that's what's happened here to poor Betty. Mm. She's a free spirited young lady or was. Yeah. Um, so it's a very right, pretty young thing. <laughs> Dead. Right, <laughs> That's what you get. <laughs> um, she's, she um she enjoyed she enjoyed uh being romanced. I think is it is. But yeah. she had a certain type. She liked him attractive, and she liked him rich, and she liked him. You know, if they could promise her a good time, then she went out with them. Basically, more power to you, Betty. Well, it was a source of contention for Mr. Fraser. Her, yeah, you know, steady boyfriend, should we say, who was mm-hmm. very. Uh, hurt, I think, by the fact that she wouldn't be exclusive to him. On the day she died, her parents—I think she was their darling, wasn't she? Even though that, even though she was a bit of a, a free spirit, a bit of a loose yeah. cannon. And her mother had actually bought her a present that day. I think she'd um, she bought her a pair of stockings. And um, her sister comes home and talks to Poirot about the kind of girl she was. It wasn't in Betty's nature to be fond of one person and not be interested in anyone else. And working in the De La War Pavilion, she was always running up against nice-looking men. I understand, mademoiselle. Do you? Her boyfriend didn't. She was really keen on him. He couldn't see why she wanted to go out with other people. Once or twice they had flaming big rows about it. Don was so violent, Betty was frightened. And as they're speaking about him, Donald Fraser arrives. They chat to him as well. And mm-hmm. he, he admits pretty much straight away that he's a very jealous guy. And he thought that Betty was out with another guy. So he went... Went to Eastbourne to try and find them, and he was he was walking around all night. But he even says so himself. Not much of an alibi, is it, old Donny? Not looking good for Don. So there we have it. Our first two victims, A and B. Yikes! And on the way back to London, Poirot and Hastings have a very insightful conversation about Don because I mean it, it's initially sort of, I mean it's sort of pushed in your face that perhaps this is the guy. You know, perhaps he was jealous and. But Poirot makes a very astute observation. Uh, you know, why did he write the letters? Well, Donald Fraser certainly seemed to have a perfectly good motive for the murder and opportunity. For killing Mademoiselle Betty Barnard? Yes. But what was the motive for killing Madame Asher? Well, that we'll have to find out. They're both women, of course. And what was the motive for writing those letters to me, Stanson? There's something about those letters... Something that bothers me. Yes, um, we now meet um, a pretty special person, don't we? Yes. <laughs> Mr. Cust. You've hinted at great performances in this episode. Alexander Bonaparte Cust. Yes. What a guy. What a <laughs> I mean, guy. What an actor is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Unbelievable. But this is our first, we first get our first look at him about 30 minutes into the to the episode. And he is a very unassuming looking man. He's quite tall. He wears glasses. Uh, he's a little bit balding on top. I'm sure Jap would savage him with a burn on that upon meeting him. <laughs> and <laughs> he, yeah, a little bit mousy, a little bit disheveled. Uh, but we see him, first of all, at the cinema. We're going to learn a lot more about him as we go and see more of his character and and what's going on with Cust. But He's watching another old film at the cinema. This really is a cinemorific episode, isn't it? It really is. And the old film is... Go on. Black Limelight. Mm. 
which seems to parallel the plot of the episode a little bit, the scene they include, mm. right? Yeah, definitely. It's all about a, a killer being unmasked. And we're watching, well, let's just say for now, a very suspicious-looking gentleman. And his name is, well, we don't find out now, but we'll Later. find out subsequently that his name is Alexander Bonaparte Cust. It's quite a name, isn't it? In fact, really we may is. have seen those initials somewhere else. <laughs> what? What? Oh Crikey, Adam. I didn't realise that's what you're alluding to. <laughs> my God, you're clever. Where did you get your ideas from? As well as being full of uh, films, this episode, this episode mm. is also full of spinning news headlines. It really is. My God. Uh, and I love it. And it's great. But it's, these come about because Jap decides the best way to, to find the killer is to get all the details out to the public, make them aware of what's going on and get their awareness up. And he does that with a series of very exciting, flashy headlines. My favourite, <laughs> personally, there's two. Bexhill Brutality. Ba oh, sorry, oh, no, sorry, I'm going to do that again. And I'm going to do it in my newsy voice. <clears throat> so I've been practising. You ready? Go on. Bexhill Brutality baffles Belgian. <laughs> That's amazing. Go on. Right? Do the other ones. <laughs> Waitress slaying Link to Landover crime. Uh, and one more. Uh, the alphabet killer daps on the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the fact that he couldn't resist just sticking his name in there one. The alphabet killer, jap on the job. <laughs> it's like him on the front cover so of the cool. paper, like Bruce Forsyth, resting his little hand on his, his head on his hand. <laughs> I was going to say Rodan's the thinker, but yeah, it's, oh, I yeah. Mean, that must have been what Bruce Forsyth, <laughs> that must have been what Bruce Forsyth was aiming for all those years. You're a little more cultured than me. That's fine. <laughs> Not at all. You chose Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> no, it's just nice to see you, to see you nice. Um, so, <laughs> anyway. So, we are currently waiting to find out where the next murder's taking place, and we do. We find out very soon. But it comes with a caveat, doesn't it? First of all, yes. we'll let Hastings uh, fill you in on what the letter contains. Dear Mr. Poirot, not so good at these little criminal matters as you thought yourself, are you? Rather past your prime, perhaps. Let us see if you can do better this time. This time it's an easy one, Churston on the 29th. Do try and do something about it. It's a bit dull having it all my own way, you know. Good hunting, yours ever, ABC. The problem is, the letter seems to have arrived a little weirdly this time, doesn't it, Frankie? Good, do explain. <laughs> yes, very strangely, given this is the third letter, it's dated that the crime will take place on the 29th, but today is the 29th. Mm, there's always been forewarning, hasn't there, yeah. before this? But now the letter has arrived on the day of the murder. And why isn't it? Well, it seems that our murderer typist uh, got the address wrong, weirdly. Mm. Instead of Whitehaven Mansions, he or she wrote the White Horse Mansions. And it took a while for it then through the postmaster, what have you, to reach Poirot. So that's a bit weird. Why all of a sudden mm. is the killer getting the address wrong? Hmm. Very strange. White horse mansions and all that blessed luck. With two letters, he gets the address right. Why now does he get it wrong? Perhaps he did it on purpose. No, this fellow's got these balmy rules and I think he sticks to them. I know. He drinks white horse whiskey. C'est ingenieux, sir. He types the address and the bottle it is in front of him. We've heard of psychology at Scotland Yard too, you know. So, 
quick sharpish though because time is of the essence the, it's coming very late and so they decide to go straight to churston which is also in devon we've, we've looked up locations uh so they meet jap at paddington they get down they try and get down there asap but then it's too late and isn't it it's too late isn't it because uh sir carmichael mr c was out walking in the garden and got, <laughs> got smashed to death. <laughs> Carmichael in Churston is the, is the third victim of the ABC killer. So how do we know this? Because there's more spinny headlines. Go on, Frankie, do them in your news voice. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> ABC killer strikes again. Clip top horror. <laughs> it's the slight pause. <laughs> Respecting the, uh, the colon. Okay. About time. <laughs> With your Millionaire dad. Arisoc- Let me finish my spinning. Millionaire Aristocrat. <laughs> Millionaire Aristocrat murdered. This is the best. Please do that again. Uh, that one's hard. Aristocrat's hard to say. Aristocrat. Aristocrat. <laughs> Millionaire Aristocrat murdered. Butler finds murdered millionaire. Wow. <laughs> so, Frankie, are you available for all of our news reading? I think you should yes. be on the BBC at News at 10. <laughs> I just read After the every bomb. <laughs> ABC killer strikes again. Kim Kardashian divorces Kanye. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. Kenneth Branagh found (laughs) bludgeoned. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't possibly say. Uh, Thank you for appreciating my newsy voice. I've been doing it ever since I watched the episodes (laughs) around the house. (laughs) My lucky, lucky husband. Later on, when um, we do my quiz, Mm -hmm. you should announce if I've got every question right (laughs) or wrong. (laughs) With that voice. Adam with zero <laughs> points in quiz. <laughs> no, no, you got that one wrong too. <laughs> so on. Oh boy. Yes, as you say, Mr. C, as you refer to him, like you're the Fonz <laughs> and he's Mr. Cunningham. <laughs> sure. Uh, Sir so, so, oh has unfortunately been bludgeoned to death, as you say, uh, with a blunt instrument. <laughs> oh, is, is this... The ABC murders. <laughs> God damn it. Sorry. That was really good. I'm really proud. <laughs> that was Fonzarella of a joke you've got in there. Oh, boy. Uh, but yes, Mr. Carmichael was killed, as we've said, by a blow to the back of the head with a blood instrument. And... I love all the jokes we've managed to make off the back of this man's murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Ten sad. minutes of... It's been 10 minutes of pure comedy. <laughs> yep. But a man has died. Uh, so we need to remember that. But uh, R.I.P. Sorry, ABC. <laughs> oh, my God. You are on fire. You oh, alpha be. better believe we're going to get more jokes <laughs> out of this one. Uh, so because the victims here, if we look at the three victims so far, very different victim profiles, right? Mm-hmm. Alice Asher... An old lady, as we said, who ran ran the tobacconist. She was very unassuming, not very well off in this life. Is no, victim number one. Victim mm. number two, we have Betty, who was a young, free spirited girl with you flighty know, no, young girl. Yeah, flighty. Yeah. That's the that's the word mm. for it. And then we've got 
Mr. C, <laughs> Sir Cunning, Sir Carmichael, who, Mr. Cunningham, <laughs> I was about to say, Sir Cunningham, is uh, <laughs> Bonzi. Uh, these, these slays are art. We're all in a Bonzi about this murder. Uh, and Poirot points out that none of these victims are connected. Wait a minute. So, Mr. C was quite rich, wasn't he? So yes. was he Richie? <laughs> We've got to stop doing these happy days things. I don't oh, know why look. this is happening. Okay, sorry. Uh, so Carmichael was very rich um, and like had estates and things. So yes, you have a, a poor older woman, a flighty young thing, and then this lord of the manor. Uh, there's, there's seemingly nothing to connect them. Yep. Yes. He's as rich as a jukebox. Um, that was a really cute... <laughs> oh boy. This is Potsy uh, of fun, by the way. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we've managed to work happy days into this. I, I know. You said this to see. So... Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm very glad that you did. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, I'm really glad. I'm sure everyone listening is like, come on, just get on with it now. Yes, <laughs> Adam, shut up your Ralph mouth and let's get okay. on with the episode. <laughs> sure. Right, so we meet Sir Cunningham's brother, who is Mr. Franklin Clark. Sir Carmichael's brother. Did I say, what did I say? You said Sir Cunningham's brother. <laughs> he's not Richie Cunningham, okay? <laughs> uh, Sir, he's Sir Carmichael Clark. <laughs> Right. We need to stop with the happy days. We, these happy days are yours and mine, though, so <laughs> it's good that we share them. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we meet Sir Carmichael's brother. <laughs> Jappy days. Adam! Jappy and free. Oh, my God, this is going to be so annoying for everyone listening. So. For me editing. <laughs> it yes, definitely but it's funny, so we'll allow it. Right. Jesus Christ. Yes, we meet his brother. <laughs> his name yes. is Mr. Mike, Mr. Michael? Mr. Franklin Clark. He gives them a bit of insight into what Sir Carmichael was like. Turns out he was actually quite an upset and anxious person because his wife has got incurable cancer. We definitely can't make any Happy Days jokes now because his wife has got <laughs> incurable cancer and is very, very sick. She doesn't have many Happy Days left. That was really good. That was really, really good. No, it wasn't. It was. I mean, I know it's awful that you're joking about a poor old woman dying, but if you're going to make a joke about that, it has to be really funny. And it was so well done. Very good. Right. Jesus Christ. But Sir Carmichael, as we learn, is mega rich. As we could tell from the spinning headlines and all of the really expensive stuff he's got in his house, he's really, really rich. Yeah, that's his deal. We also meet... Thora Gray and uh, yeah. and I love I love when we meet her as well. Uh huh. <laughs> Hastings literally almost does ding dong. <laughs> yeah, his jaw is on the floor when he sees Thora Gray. She's rather attractive have some respect. Lady. You know, someone's just died. You know, Hastings. You walk into this situation. Here you are saying ding dong, making happy days jokes. <laughs> <laughs> he comes so in in his leather jacket, bumps on the jukebox. <laughs> Puts on a song and... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This is Miss Thora Gray, gentlemen. My brother's secretary. How do you do? You could say he really jumped the shark with that one. I, I just because like a surfing... Hey. <laughs> a Fonzie surfing joke. 
Yes, so... Right, the long and short of it is, Sir Carmichael Clark has been killed. He's C in Churston for you know, <laughs> half an hour ago when we were actually talking about this story. You forgot. What show is this about? Is this our Happy Days podcast? What are we, <laughs> what are we doing now? Hapod Days is our <gasps> next show after Podderton Creek. Wow. Yes, so he's Lord of the Manor. We meet his brother who, who basically informs Poirot that his wife had incurable cancer, that he, you know, terrible, terrible blight on the family. But then we meet Sir Carmichael Clark's secretary is she a secretary yes she Private was assistant that kind of thing dora gray yeah. and she's incredibly beautiful and hastings immediately falls in love with her and yes story. sorry about all the diversion it's fine if hastings has kind of been trying to fall in love it feels like for this entire episode because he uh, any mm. woman he's like huh a uh, beautiful woman how about Where? you <laughs> yeah like megan when he first meets her he's like oh uh? but she's just clearly not entertaining it for a second he even asks if the victim was pretty. I don't know what's going on with Hastings at the moment. He's in a bit of a weird, weird mood. So I think when he finally sees Thora, he's like, okay, there's my one. That'll do. She's alive. That hints at a really, a very large, great darkness in Hastings' psyche. Yeah. Well, should I bother going in there? Is, is, she, is the victim is she pretty? pretty? Yeah, well, um, we, yeah. Let's just, let's just say no, Hastings. No. I'm not going in there. But as we said, Poirot is, from this whole experience, from seeing the three victims, A, B and C, as we've gotten to, he realises that there's no point in trying to find a connection between the victims. There must be a connection between these victims. We just haven't found it yet. No. We hit our heads against a stone brick. There is no connection. There must be. I say no, Hastings. There is no connection whatever between these people except that their names begin with certain letters of the alphabet. We have searched the background of the victims and of the suspects for any other connection. Hastings can find nothing. Scotland Yard can find nothing. Even I can find nothing. Now we are wasting our time because there is nothing to find. You mean those people were complete strangers to the murderer? Possibly some more Hastings? Chosen only because of his mania for the alphabet. But we do have a newspaper article... That custody. Come on, there, Frankie. <laughs> well, it's just you know, ABC murder psychologist report. <laughs> Doctor Rathi Williams' re- early reactions. <laughs> it's not as catchy as the others. I'll be honest with no, you. No, it's not that long. It's quite long. <laughs> <laughs> but why don't you read? Because we now cut back to Mr. Cust. Alexander Bonaparte Cust, who we now see at a library reading a newspaper. What's his headline, Frankie? Go on, give us that. Millionaire murdered, welcome on, Messiah Maniac. You bang back in there, honestly. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's probably best because someone tries to uh, talk to him about the headline that he's reading. So we'll, uh, well, I mean, listen to the conversation and see what you think about Mr. Cust. Nasty business, eh? Yes, very. You never know what lunatics do you. They don't always look balmy. Sometimes they can look just like you and me. Yes, I suppose they can. Now, sometimes it's, a, it's the war has unhinged them and they've never been right since. I don't hold with wars. I don't hold with plague and sleeping sickness and famine and cancer, but they happen all the same. Oh, but war's preventable. (laughs) 
Yes, 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 it was. And it did um, unsettle me. It's very interesting to watch, isn't it? Because he is, I would say, erratic, to say the least, in his demeanour. He's very un- he's clearly very unsettled and very agitated as a person when you watch Cust talking to this man. I don't want to go too much into no it because because it, the problem and the beautiful thing about this episode is that talking about it too early, I think he's gonna yeah uh, throw throw up flags. But also as well, it's so beautifully performed and so beautifully crafted. Every I mean, you know, we talk yep. about problems with you know, production design on certain other episodes. There's nothing wrong with this one at all. No. It's absolutely perfectly done. It is. And we do also learn from this scene, though, that Cust was in the war. So, yeah. you know, and so that kind of, you get a little sense of his character throughout this. As you say, it's a masterful performance, perfectly crafted, and you get little peppered in hints at why he is the way he is throughout the episode. And this mm. is like the first little breadcrumb that we get. That why he is like this. It's not. It's not too overt. In you should be thinking this about this person no. or anything like that. All we're seeing is just a man just acting and reacting to certain things. Oh, God. I, I, you know, this is one of the episodes I'm so looking forward to getting to the Dunoon Park because I just Me can't wait too. to just gush about it. Anyway, so Poirot decides to assemble the key relations over from each victim. So we have Mary Drower coming over to uh, represent her aunt, Alice Asher, who was the A, obviously. Then you have Megan, who comes over in place of Betty Barnard, as her sister. And then for Carmichael Clark, we have his brother. They all reveal certain facts about the victims and the time that they were killed. And Poirot is listening intently, and I think you should too. And so we are all assembled, huh? Let us begin with you, Mademoiselle Draw. When were you last in contact with your aunt? I hadn't seen Auntie for a fortnight, sir. I'd had a letter from her, though, two days previous. Ah, now these are just the sort of facts which could provide a clue that is vital, eh? Now, I believe that you all may have some information that you are not aware that you have. Did you keep that letter? No, sir, but I remember what it said. She said the old devil had been round and she'd sent him off with a flea in his ear. And she said she expected me over on the Wednesday. That's my day out, sir. And said we'd go to the pictures. It was going to be my birthday, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I don't mean to be silly. It's just the thought of her looking forward to our treat. It's always the little things that get one. Especially anything like a treat or a present. Same thing happened when Betty died. Mum had brought us some stockings as a present. That very morning, in fact. Poor Mum. Found her crying over them. She kept saying, I bought them for Betty, and she never even saw them. Also, I want to call out the, the, the scene that follows this directly is one that our good friend Hugh talked about when we he interviewed did. him, which is a beautiful <laughs> scene where Poirot and Hastings are doing the washing up together. And it's beautiful for a number of reasons, but it really highlights their relationship where... Hastings is washing, Poirot is drying, and he keeps handing him the cutlery. He studies it, hands it back to Hastings to, <laughs> to rewash it. It's so good because Hastings isn't really giving it his full attention. He's a bit distracted because he's think he's got D on the brain, which I can relate yeah. to. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> oh, 
but yeah, he's a bit distracted by all that D. <laughs> you know, Hastings, I cannot rid my mind of the impression that something was said this afternoon that was significant. It is odd. I cannot pin it down exactly. But something passed through my mind that reminded me of that which I had already seen or heard or noted. It will come to me. Something is the matter, Hastings? What? No, 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 no. I'm just thinking about D, as a matter of fact. Or the next mother. Yes. I mean, is he out there somewhere, planning it? shivers just to think about it it's it's really subtly done as well they don't yeah. make a thing out of it. poirot isn't going no wash that again he's just handing it back i mean this is something that you can yeah. tell was not in the script this is something yeah. that you know hugh fraser and david Suchet have just worked out and moment it's of gold so well done it's absolutely brilliant so following a request from mr clark they go and see sir carmichael's widow lady clark because she's requested to speak to them and she tells them she's also can i just say when we speak to lady clark she sounds like she was taught as i've written in my notes to speak by henry higgins from my fair lady because she literally says like how kind of you to come how do you do so good of you both to come how do you do how do you do miss doolittle good afternoon professor higgins <laughs> It's like word for word, my fair lady script. Anyway, uh, she, shockingly to Hastings' mind, casts aspersions on Thora's character and says that she's a liar because she has claimed that she has not seen anybody suspicious or unknown hanging around the house. But Lady Clark saw Thora talking to a perfectly strange man outside the house on the day of the murder. Dun, dun, dun. Why do you say that Mademoiselle Grey is a liar? Because she is. She told you no strangers came to the house, didn't she? Yes. Very well, then. I saw her with my own eyes, talking to a perfectly strange man. Out of this window. So, um, Poirot and Hastings now have a new clue. Thora was speaking to someone at the, uh, shall we say, the tradesman's entrance to the the estate. Which instantly cast doubt on her story. We're not overcomplicated too much, but I mean, we're trying to be as simplistic as we can because this is a feature-length episode, but these are the most important clues I think you should be focusing on. Yes. There is a bit more. But as I said at the beginning of this, I, I would say more than any other episode, this is probably one you should watch ahead or pause at least when we go to the yeah. denouement and go and enjoy it because this is an episode you Masterful. just have to experience it. And as well, this is one I did not get the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, I think I'm watching this kind of film. And um, yeah, when you find out you're not, it's one of life's beautiful moments. (laughs) Perfectly, perfectly constructed. So yeah, they, 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 after seeing Lady Clark, they head back. I just have to call out this beautiful scene with Hastings Mm -hmm. talking about uh, how good looking girls have a hard time of life. (laughs) A good looking girl has a hard time of it. Ah, Hastings. Always you are full of the charitable feelings to the young ladies who are beautiful, man. When I watched that, I was like, that's why my life's been so easy. <laughs> I don't have those problems, so that's nice. Good, good oh. for them. 
So yeah, but great, great line from Poirot's response about the charitable feelings for the young ladies who are beautiful. Not true at all, Frankie. Whatever. Anyway, they get back to Whitehaven to find Don Fraser, Betty Barnard's ex-boyfriend waiting outside for them. And he tells them that he's been having very strange dreams. And there's a beautiful moment where he's describing this kind of dream where he is some kind of killer on a beach and Mm -hmm. he's, you know, having a terrible time of it. But all the while, as he's saying these horrible, sinister things, we are zooming in on the letters next to Hastings' hand. And it's it's so well done. I love that moment. because Really builds the tension. So good. You're like, oh, God, there's another letter there. Look at the letters. Fantastically done. Anyway, Hastings finally spots the letter, rips it open, and reads for us. Mr. Hercule Poirot, still no success. Five five. What are you and the police doing? Isn't this fun? And where shall we go next for honey? Poor Mr. Poirot, I'm quite sorry for you. We have a long way to go still. The next little incident will take place at Doncaster on the 9th of September. So long, ABC. Yes, it's Doncaster. Give us the headline. Well, you've just spoiled it, but all right, I'll uh, do my best. It's Doncaster! <laughs> Death walks in Doncaster! There you go! Police must act! <laughs> yes, the killer has announced that the next murder will be in Doncaster. And for anyone who knows Doncaster, not really surprising. Kev lives in Doncaster. Don't oh, what are you trying to say about Kev? Not a thing. Anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Kev. I don't believe a word of it. <laughs> Love you, Kev, composer of our music. Yes. <laughs> the problem is that on the date that the killer has promised to kill in Doncaster, the 9th of September, that's the date that the St. Ledger is being run. So the whole place is going to be absolutely swarming with people. Well, he's obviously gathered the gang. He's made like a little Scooby gang, hasn't he, of all their relations that are like taking it upon themselves to solve this. <laughs> That's case. a very good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. It's like a little, like a little Stranger Things. Yeah, it is. <laughs> a little ragtag group, group of, uh, yeah, uh, vigilantes. Uh, and mm. Hastings and Megan are in Poirot's kitchen and they're putting away the washing. And we find out how Poirot arranges his kitchen. <laughs> Sources? Uh, bottom cupboard over there. Everything's arranged in order of height. I might start arranging my kitchen that way, although I don't ever think I'll arrange my kitchen anyway. <laughs> it's just, everything's just everywhere. <laughs> as long as you know where it is, that's all that matters. I don't. But... It's during this little tete-a-tete with uh, the family that uh, Poirot confronts Thora about the stranger that she met at the gate. Well, she seems to f- have forgotten that she did speak to someone at the gate that day, and Mrs. Carmichael saw her talking, and apparently it was a salesman, but not just any salesman, a salesman of stockings. And all of a sudden, there's a dun-dun-dun moment in Poirot's mind. Mademoiselle Grey here has told us that she did not see or speak to any stranger on the day that Sir Carmichael Clark was killed. That's right, I didn't. But Lady Clark tells us, Mademoiselle... That on that day, from her window, she saw you standing at the garden gate speaking to a strange man. Lady Clark made a mistake. I never spoke... Oh. Oh, I remember now. How stupid. Oh, but it wasn't important. Just one of those men who come around selling stockings. You know, ex-army people. They're very persistent, but he's quite a harmless sort of person. I suppose that's why I forgot about him. 
Sophia Stockings. Stockings, that is the link. Do you not remember Hastings? Andover, the room behind the little shop, over the back of the chair, a pair of new silk stockings. Well, yes, but now I remember what it was that aroused my attention two days ago. It was you, mademoiselle. You spoke of your mother who wept, because on the very day of the murder, she had just bought for your sister a pair of new silk stockings. Yes, yes, she did. She said something about feeling sorry for those wretched men who go around selling door to door. Describe this man. I can't. I, I don't... He had glasses, I think. And a shabby overcoat. Mia Casa, mademoiselle. He stooped. I don't know. I hardly looked at him. He wasn't the sort of man you'd notice. In those few words, mademoiselle, lies the whole secret of these murders. He wasn't the sort of man you'd notice. Yes, and then after this, we cut to our old friend Cust, uh, who is sitting in his little apartment, and he is very unnerved. He's staring at the newspaper headline, which is about these murders that are happening, and he's very fixated on it. His landlady comes in. They have a bit of an awkward, weird chat. But the long and short of it is, he says he has to go. He has to go to Cheltenham. He says, you don't look very well, Mr. Cust. I don't know if it's a good idea that you travel. But he said, no, no, he has to go to Cheltenham. Yes. And he is a certain type of job he does. And he's a, turns out he is a stocking salesman. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So we get two dun, dun, duns in the space of five minutes. We're dun, dun, dun with these dun, dun, duns. <laughs> a, B, C, D, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> ah, <laughs> nice. So Poirot's plan is this. He will gather the family helpers that he's been uh, assembling all the way through. He's going to ask them all to do him a favour. It's generally accepted that the murder will happen at Doncaster Racecourse because where better to hide a murder than in the you know in a crowd? A point that we will definitely come back to. So Poirot's plan is this. Um, everyone will split up and go around the racecourse and they will look for any suspicious activity. We also see that Alexander Bonaparte cussed He's on the train to Doncaster as well, because, mm. of course he is. Um, <laughs> what happens in Doncaster then, Frankie? What happens in Doncaster stays in Doncaster. No, that's not true. <laughs> what doesn't happen in Doncaster? <laughs> well, indeed. So as you say, it's race day and they've all been assembled. They have a plan. They're all going to split up, cover the race course. Each of the, the happy helpers that he's drawn this ragtag bunch of vigilantes, they're all going to take a corner and Poirot's going to do what he does best, which is sit at the back and think with his eyes closed, which is the role that I would also choose for myself in this situation. But while all of that's happening and it's chaos and we get some lots of lovely stock footage of Doncaster Racecourse in the 30s, it's mm-hmm. great. We also see Cust, he's having a really tough time. He's having like a breakdown, basically. He's like screaming, he's grabbing his head, he's in agony, it feels like. But then he leaves his house and goes out. But he doesn't go to the race course. No, he goes to a cinema, doesn't he? And he's watching a film. He's happily watching it because, you know, that seems to be the only place that he can sort of get any kind of respite. He doesn't like being around people. He just wants to be on his own watching a film. Hard to relate. He's at the cinema. I think we'll do this slightly out of order in terms of episode timing. But he's at the cinema. He's watching a film. He decides to leave. He gets up, makes his way across the row, and a man is stabbed to death in his very row. Cust leaves, and all of a sudden, 
he looks like he has a look of relief on his face. It's almost as if something has happened to sort of cleanse some kind of bad feeling that he wanted to get rid of. We then see Poirot at the racetrack, and he is having some kind of epiphany. He's gone within himself, as he usually does, and come up with some kind of eureka moment, what would you say? Yes, he has closed his eyes, he has a little smile forming, and then boom. And you know what? He can say it better than we can. I'll drop in the clip. It's all right, everyone's in position. No, 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 Hastings, you do not understand. Look at the crowds. Oh, yes, I know. It's damn difficult. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yes, Hastings, yes. Where is the best place for a man to hide himself? In a crowd of other men? Yes, Hastings. And where's the best place to conceal a murder? A murder? I don't know. Among a lot of other murders, I suppose. I see some more Hastings. I said that the victims were chosen in a manner that was haphazard, selected only because of their initials, yes? I was wrong, Hastings. All of the victims are haphazard, yes, except for one. This monster is committing a series of murders in order to draw away our attention from one murder in particular. Where's better to hide a bloody murder? Hmm, within a load of other murders. That's so clever! It is. It's so clever. Oh, God, I can't wait to get to do more. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. We're going to focus on Cust for a little while, though, now, aren't we? Yes. The relief of having a lovely time at the cinema, it seems, is short-lived because he puts his hand in his pocket and realises his arm is covered in blood. And then he finds a bloody knife in his pocket. A bloody knife in his pocket. <laughs> bloody That's not a knife. <laughs> <laughs> call that a knife? <laughs> and yes, we would call that a knife because uh, it's... That's what it is. Uh, so then he goes back to, he's in his his room and there's a bowl of water and he's washing his hands. But the landlady of the place where he's staying comes in and spots the blood. He says he's cut his hand, but she ain't buying it. And she goes mm. straight to the police like a snitch and dobs him right in. So they quickly all hop in a car and head over to the house to see what's going on. Yep, they do. In fact... It's not long before they have his name and his home address from the register, and they now know that the man they're after is Alexander Bonaparte Cust. And we know that they know because we get more headlines. Go on, Frankie. You should do them now because yours is your voice is as good now. Um, Okay. (laughs) Sure thing. (laughs) Arrest of the ABC killer. (laughs) You need the Batman sound. You need the Batman sound effect, by the way, every time you. (laughs) Well, they have good spinny music in this one. Uh, ABC killer apprehended. Killer cast in court. (laughs) You could also say that he is now in custody. But I don't get that one. Okay, so why it's funny is because... (laughs) Custard. Custard. Delicious. (laughs) Nice. Uh, it isn't long before Cust has been picked up by the police and he's in the slammer. So the first thing they do is send Poirot in to talk to him. And uh, Poirot picks up a few interesting details, doesn't he? Uh, we yes. finally get to hear Cust's story, which is equal parts tragic and horrifying. You are aware, are you not, that the firm who you say employed you deny the fact? Yeah. But I've got their letters to me, giving me instructions as to what places to go, and a list of people upon whom to call. But all of the letters, they were typed on the machine found in your room. The typewriter was sent to me by the firm at the beginning of my job. 
But the letters were sent after you received the machine. So it looks, does it not, as though you typed them and then posted them to yourself. Yes, I know, I know. His performance in this scene is the most incredibly breathtaking thing I think I've seen in a really long time. Mm. This scene was I oh. It's Suchet level, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's so subtle, Absorbing. nuanced. It's yeah, it's great. It's unbelievably captivating and gentle and oh my god, I I cried because I was like this is mm. unbelievably it's like a masterclass in acting. Mm. It's unbelievable. So good. Yeah. So good. You kind of we learned that cast he he's saying he he was going to all these places because that's what he was told to do. He has letters from his employer sending him to these locations. But Poirot points out those letters were all written on the typewriter that we found at your house. It's not looking good, is it? And then we just learn a bit more about him, as you say. He's had a bit of a rough ride. He's quite a delicate character. But we also learn that he couldn't have committed the Bex Hill murder because as soon as that news came out that he'd been arrested... A man who came forward saying that he was playing dominoes with him all night. And we actually mm. learned that he's well into dominoes. I was playing dominoes in Eastbourne, wasn't I? It is a game that is very absorbing, is it not, Monsieur Gus? Oh, there's a lot of play in it. A lot of play. When I was a clerk in the city, we used to play every lunch hour. <laughs> You'd be surprised the way total strangers can come together over a game of dominoes. Yes. I remember one person in particular. We just got talking over a cup of coffee and started dominoes. I've not been able to forget something they told me. What did they say? Talking about your fate being written in your hand. They told me some amazing things. Said I was going to be the most celebrated man in England before I died. But that... Yes. It almost looks as though you're going to die on the gallows. It's worth saying, this Alexander Bonaparte cast is played by Donald Sumter. Uh, Mm. You probably know him. He's been in Game of Thrones. He was in the Les Miserables movie. He was in... He's been in Doctor Who a few times. He's in lots of sort of uh, Dickens adaptations for the BBC and everything. Um, A few movies as well. It's a sumptuous performance. (laughs) It really is. <laughs> These days are hard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's one of these actors who never seems to have been not working, but it's clear to see why they picked him for this. He's he is like Suchet level amazing in this. He's oh. so good to watch. He's so I don't want to give too much away because if we sort of hint as what he's going for in 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 his performance, then it might give things away. So. Just say, when you watch this, you'll be terribly confused because you will feel sympathy, but you'll yeah. also be feeling very chilled and very sort of creeped out. And I think that's such a incredibly fine line to walk, but he does it perfectly. It's he really does. So and good. as you said, he is Suchet level and seeing him and Suchet together, it's just... Mm, two header. Oh, it's so good. Oh, yeah. the perfect balance. And Poirot's mm. approach to it so perfect as well. And, you know, mm. what what it kind of boils down to at the very end is, you know, he says, look, I struggle with my head. I can't remember a lot. Apparently yeah. we learn he has epilepsy and he struggles mm. with blackouts. And Poirot says, but I'm right that you don't know why you committed these murders. And he mm. says no. And that's enough for Poirot. He now knows what he needs to know. But you do know that you committed the murders. 
Yes. Yes, I do know that. And I am right, have I not? That you do not know why you committed them? No. No, I don't. Crucially, he doesn't say, I didn't commit the murders. He's, he's like, I think I must have done them. Yeah. So, fine, you know, if I'm guilty, you know, I'm in the right place, I'm in prison now. Yeah. It's so good. But crucially, we are going to have to cut away there, actually, after the conversation with Poirot and ABC in the <laughs> cell, because um, it's denouement time, thank God, because I'm so sick of skating around certain things. It's driving me <laughs> mental. <laughs> it, it's an absolute banger of a denouement. It's the ABC yeah. denouement time. Oh, my goodness, me! It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. boy. Right. We don't need to do scores. We know it's tens, right? Oh, God, it's... It's more than a 10. It's, this yeah. is, for me, the quintessential Christie. It's perfectly done. And when you when you see it unfold and you understand what you've been seeing all the way along, I mean, it takes it to another level. It's yeah. I can't even talk about it quite yet because I'm yet. not talking to it. But yes, this is the best one so far that we've seen, definitely. Yeah. 100%. And by all means, I think you should watch it before you listen to to our take on the Dinimon and how genius it was as a piece of writing and a piece of filmmaking. So uh, at 1 minute 20, you want to pause it. Uh, sorry, at uh, 1 minute one 20. One hour. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, one, God's sake. Yeah. 1 minute 20. When he gets off the train, pause it. <laughs> Can you have you guessed who it is yet? <laughs> <laughs> All the clues are not there yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the clues are not there yet. <laughs> yeah, this is one where I would say, you know, if you're at this point in the podcast and you still haven't seen the episode, then stop what you're doing. Go and please, watch it now. Please go and watch it. It's available on uh, ITV X in the UK. It's on BritBox for our friends in other countries. It's probably on the internet somewhere, if we're honest, for free, if you're going to be a bit naughty about it. But... Mm-hmm. It's worth buying as well. Even if you haven't got those things, you can get it on yeah. Apple, whatever. Do get it. Absolutely. You'll want to watch it a few times because it's so you good. This is, this is one I've seen probably 10 times. And every time it's like, oh, God, it's so good. Yeah. Don't mistakenly buy the John Malkovich one. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You'll be yeah. very disappointed. And this episode will make yeah. no sense. You'll be like, why? Where are the Happy Days references in this? This is really. <laughs> <laughs> There is an R's reference. Oh, <laughs> that's not the alphabet. <laughs> I can't believe you worked Al in there. I was trying to do that half an hour ago and I couldn't even think of a way. Well done. We did it. Go team. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, um, look, please go away and watch this episode. Don't, don't go away forever, but come back and join please us. Come back. We'll talk about the two. Yes. <laughs> At some point, please. <laughs> I promise we won't talk about happy days anymore in the afternoon anymore. <laughs> I, I promise nothing. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Au revoir for now. Bye. Au revoir. We're back. Bonjour. Now, I just quickly, before we reveal things, because the reveal when it comes is... Is, is one of those moments you go, oh, hang on a minute. What the hell? Yeah. All the way through this, you are led to believe that you're watching not a murder mystery, but a serial killer thriller, right? Which is, yeah. I think, why the people decided to make a, you know, a, a grisly serial killer thriller out of yes. um, 
the story with John Malkovich. But um, the genius of this is that it's constructed so that when the rug is pulled at the one hour, 20 minute mark, and you realise actually you haven't been watching a serial killer drama, you've been watching a murder mystery all the way along. It's one of the great sort of delightful surprises uh, about um, this episode, which, um, yeah. Anyway. You yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're, ab- but you're absolutely now. right. That's why it's so clever. Like all of the building mm. up of cuss throughout this episode is that it's yeah. this unhinged, insane mm. serial killer who mm. can't control himself. He needs to kill it. He's compelled to kill you know, yeah. it's it's very once he's very done it, clever. he feels better. That, yes. It's filmed in such a way that it's almost orgasmic. It's like the death happens, and then you see Cust. Oh, <sighs> God, I feel better. So it's such a yeah. relief that that's done. You know, now I just have to wait for the horror of next time. That's it. exactly because that's also what ties in to the letters. This is the thing: mm. the letters are very the way they're written, the tone they're written, and very reminiscent of the Jack the Ripper letters that were sent yeah. into the newspapers. Very much playing on that whole theme. And they even mentioned Jack the Ripper at one point. Mm. So when you see the letters, you see the grisly nature of the crimes, and then you see Cust yeah. in his rawest form at the very end, right before we get to this denouement bit, you're like, hold on a second. This doesn't add up. And that is exactly yeah. what Poirot's thinking too. <laughs> this doesn't yeah. add up. Everyone's thinking it. Although it's, it's like, this is not this is not something cerebral that's happening. It's yeah. not, it's not a, this is not a, a mental crime. This is some kind of primal urge to kill. Yeah. All we're seeing is this like monster, this grisly primal monster, you know, acting out on this this kind of bloodlust thing, and the the way that Don- Donald Sumter plays it all the way through is so perfectly done because mm. you do get the feeling that he is unhinged and that it's not his doing; it's some kind of mental affliction that he yeah. mentions. It's he was in the war, and it's some kind of you know sort of flashback. Oh god, PTSD <laughs> trauma. It's, so it's yeah, yeah, it's so. It's so layered. It's stunning. Mm. But Adam, let's get into it. Come on. I mean, ABC's in jail. Alexander Bonaparte cast. He's admitted, you know, I'm perfectly capable of doing these crimes and you've probably got the right guy. So Poirot notices that one big inconsistency needs to be answered for and that's the Bexhill killing. That's Betty Barnard's killing. Turns out that Alexander Bonaparte cast can't have done that killing because he was playing dominoes that night. And if he can't have done that killing, then perhaps something else was at play. And perhaps it harks back to his comments at Two Hastings at the Doncaster Race Club, which were, Frankie... Where's the best place to hide a murder, Adam? Mm. Well, as we pointed out earlier on, where's the best place to do a killing? It's within a crowd, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. where's the best place to hide a murder? Within a crowd of murders. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. So many. We are dun-dun-dun. So Poirot first gathers the family members again, once more, at uh, Bexhill. And he talks about the fact that he thinks that the mastermind behind this crime was someone who was trying to hide a murder amongst the other murders. When do you notice least an individual murder? When it is one of a series of related murders. Hold on a minute, hold on. Cust did the murders. He was caught red-handed, more or less. Blood on his coat, knife under his bed. He even admits to the murders. What more do you want? When I first saw Monsieur Cust, Chief Inspector, I knew he was not guilty. For such a plan, Monsieur Cust had neither the cunning, the daring, nor, may I add, the brains. As we know, Betty Barnard, when her body was found, she was in a state of undress and she had her own belt around her neck. And harsh but true, Poirot points out that Mr Cust, as adorable as he is, 
not really the kind of man that's likely to get a lady out of her out of her dress, out of her clothes. Uh, he's not really a big Lothario. So how did that happen? The murderer must have flirted with Mademoiselle Betty Barnard. Somehow he got her to remove her belt with which she was strangled. You have seen Monsieur Cust? Can you imagine Monsieur Cust, as you English say, getting off with a pretty young girl? Monsieur Cust making the click? So Poirot goes into detail and he talks about the dual personality of the murderer because actually there's technically two people involved in this. There's the real murderer and the pseudo-murderer. And that lovely little story that Cust told that we shared previously about the man he met playing dominoes, well, yeah, that was Cust, obviously, and the murderer happened to happened upon Cust, figured out pretty quickly that he's quite a vulnerable person and very suggestible and could easily be controlled and decided to use that to his advantage. The murderer had been considering already several schemes when a chance meeting with Monsieur Cust produced an idea. His epileptic seizures, his headaches. Indeed, the whole shrinking personality of Monsieur Cust made him for the murderer an ideal tool. Perhaps his very name of Alexander Bonaparte Cust gave to the murderer the idea of the murders alphabetical. So this series of murders was planned long in advance. A list of clients to visit in Andover was sent to Cust and typed out beforehand on the very typewriter in Cust's room before it was sent to him. It's a genius plan and it was very long in the making. But Poirot points out that we should be looking at who stood to gain anything from one of the murders. Was it Mrs. Asher and her niece? Was it Betty Barnard's family? Or was it Sir Carmichael Clark, someone from his household? I was then forced back to the simple question. Cui bono? Who stood to gain anything from even one of the murders? Mother Masha had no money. So therefore you, Mademoiselle Rauer, had nothing to gain from the death of your aunt. Mademoiselle Betty Barnard? Eh bien, she was not rich and lived on the no-doubt niggardly salary paid to her by the Delaware Pavilion. So Carmichael Clark now. Well, as the newspapers endlessly informed us, Sir Carmichael Clark was a millionaire many times over. It's really weird how the, the fourth victim, I was thinking this earlier on, the fourth victim in the cinema is just completely glossed over. Yeah, no one cares about the, him. The, the, it's like, what's is he, he even a D? Yeah. Yeah, no. does it matter? No. <laughs> He's D for dead, and that's all that we care about. I <laughs> love <laughs> his name was Don Caster. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So when we look at the motives... There aren't any for A and B. They're poor. Yeah. yeah. And the only person that really stood to profit from Sir Carmichael Clark's killing was either his terminally ill wife, which doesn't seem plausible, or could it be someone in the room? By killing four people, our murderer hoped to disguise the one murder with the real motive, that of your brother, Sir Carmichael Clark. But who is this murderer you keep talking about? <laughs> You're not implying it's me. The mastermind behind it all was Franklin Clark. He did it because he was trying to hide the murder of his brother amongst other murders. And as plots go, how ingenious is that? 
so ingenious because not only were the letters to Cust pre-written, the letters to mm. Poirot were also pre-written. So he, mm. I mean, as I, I was talked about this before, if you commit a crime that this, that's this genius, I kind of feel like you deserve a prize or something because this is so clever. Well. Well, yeah. He, he, I mean, the prize is, it's a 20 out of 20. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that's how From long Frank this episode is. <laughs> 20 hours, 20 minutes. Of us gushing about it, but yeah, it's genius. So he pre-wrote everything and then sent the typewriter to him. So it looks like he wrote his own letters. It's mm-hmm. oh, it's so good. Yeah, and also um, the reason. I mean, the, the, harking back to an earlier clue, the reason that the White Horse slash Whitehaven Mansion letter was messed up is because that was the killing he was trying to. He didn't want Poirot accidentally turning up on the day in the right place at the right time and discovering the killing. That was the killing that had to go flawlessly. So he misaddressed it on purpose so that it would go missing for a couple of days. Yeah. Poirot basically says, the reason we know it's you and you're bang to rights is that your fingerprints were found on the typewriter. The moment that's announced, Clark jumps up and says, And then does a runner into an old cinema screen so we have another film connection and uh, Jap eventually outruns him and uh, he's caught and sent off to the clink. I mean, we're not... I don't think we can really do it justice. When you see how it's filmed and you see how it's constructed as an episode, you will appreciate how incredibly bloody good this episode is. It's just... it's, It's top tier. I mean, it's definitely... I mean, it's definitely, for now, my number one. Yeah, I would say probably top three of all time. I'm, just, you know, I'm looking forward to revisiting the others, so I don't want to yes. give it that spot. But it's definitely going to be top three. Ultimately. Oh my god, absolutely! It's mm. unbelievable. I always feel a bit bad for Thora at this point because Poirot says to Thora, "Because you're so beautiful, uh, Sir Carmichael <laughs> was probably going to wait for his wife to die and then marry you. So that's why he had to die. So you're really the reason I, he killed his brother." <laughs> Feel bad, do we? (laughs) (laughs) Hastings is right. Beautiful women do have a hard time because people keep committing murders because of them that they didn't even ask for. I don't even know if she was having an affair with Sir Mark Carmichael. It's never really clear, but it's her fault. You beautiful (laughs) Stop being so beautiful. (laughs) She gave him a Thora herd on. (laughs) Nice. We uh, go from uh, that scene to a uh, beautiful ending via a series of positive spinning <laughs> news articles. Go on, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Don't mispronounce the last one. But <laughs> <laughs> I can't promise anything. Okay. <clears throat> Millionaire's brother accused. <laughs> Poirot triumphs again. Oh, here we go. Cast freed. <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> now I stop shouting in everyone's ear for the episode. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we do get a lovely ending scene, though. And um, oh. it's not just... It, all four players in this scene are just perfect. Hastings is trying to find a place for <laughs> Cedric the crocodile in Poirot's apartment and reveals to Poirot that in order to make the smell more acceptable to the Whitehaven gang, he's been using some cologne on this dead, dead animal. (laughs) Mr. Trumper will be having a field day. (laughs) 
bet you will. You're charged more. But I love the way that Poirot wipes his finger along the snout of Cedric and realises it's his cologne. Yep. But there's a beautiful scene, a beautiful moment where Mr. Cust turns up with Jap uh, to see Mr. Poirot. Do you not realise, Monsieur Cust, that today you are the most famous man in England? Right. You're absolutely right. Famous. Well, I must say the money will be most agreeable. I shall take a short holiday and... Uh, I say... What a creature. Do you like it? It's magnificent. I shot it, as a matter of fact. You shot it? Yes, when I was in South America. Oh, I should like to hear that story. Oh, right. Well, sit down, Mr. Cast. It was when I was up in Venezuela. We were a few miles upstream of La Urbana, which is actually one of the hottest places in the world. The humidity was absolutely unbearable. We'd been imported around white water all day, and I was pretty exhausted, I can tell you. And suddenly, we rounded a bend in the river and came upon the most extraordinary sight. Just down below the rapids was a native... <sighs> Finally, someone wants to listen to Hastings' <laughs> hunting story. Oh. And it's the way that Poirot and Jap sort of retreat from the room. <laughs> so like, good. Let, let's leave those two douchebags together. <laughs> <laughs> leave them to it so we don't get involved. It's also just so beautiful because Cast has had the worst life. He's had the worst time. And finally, he's he's having his moment. And it's just, mm. God, God, heartbreakingly beautiful. I just can't. So I can't good. with this episode. It's too beautiful. And it's perfect. And I love it. Mm. It's ABC Murders. I know. Finally did it. Oh, it's um, it's going to be because uh, I was building up to this one for such a long time. I'm going to be a little bit bereft. Um, it doesn't matter Same. how good the others are. ABC Murders was, I have to say, one of the ones that I watched. You know, when it was on TV the first time, and was completely bowled over by this solution. I just couldn't believe how clever it was, and how surprising it was, and how perfect Amazing. it was. Because you can rewatch it and go, God, that's so, the way they've done this scene, the way they've filmed it, the yes. way they've got cussed acting in the thing, and the, the way the blood is all, oh, God, it's everything about it. You're so right. You notice so much more on a rewatch, like little yeah. clues, that visual clues that they drop in throughout the episode. Like we said, you see the stockings on the back of the chair in Alice yep. Ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in one of the news, one of my spinny newspapers, there's an ad for White Horse Whiskey at the top of the oh, paper. Like, there's so many... That. Yeah, that's the thing. There's so many bits. You watch it and you go, oh, my God, this is genius level mm. of, like, plotting and delivery. It's it's unbelievable. I, I, don't, I don't think... we Have we sold it enough how good this is? I don't know. Also, did you know Miss Lemon is coming on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Yeah! <laughs> she's dead to me if she's not in this episode, to be honest. Oh, well... <laughs> Damn defensive. I guess I'll be talking to Pauline by myself next week. Who? <laughs> anyway, I'm joking. Of course, it's the most exciting thing in the world. To have reviewed the ABC murders in a couple of days' time, be speaking to Pauline Moran. I mean, life just does not get any sweeter. Very lucky. Or does it? More to come. More to be revealed. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. Oh! Stop it. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, but yeah, the ABC murders. It literally is one of the ones that you can show to anyone. They don't need to have seen a Poirot episode before this. They will just enjoy it as a police procedural serial killer thriller with an unbelievably clever twist. Yes. It's Agatha Christie at her best. Absolutely. And it's the Poirot cast at their best too. Even without Miss Lemon. And if you have seen this before, but you've not watched it for a long time, do rewatch it for this because you will be. I, I, I hadn't seen it for a while when I was preparing for this. And oh my God, rewatching it was just the, the best. It was the best Saturday night of my life. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Wow. Absolutely. Hey, Adam, what's the next episode going to be of series four? It's only Death in the Clouds, isn't it? In it! Yeah. Do you know what? They did this as a three-part mini-series of feature-length episodes in January of that year. It was ABC Murders, Death in the Clouds, and One Two Buck on My Shoe. Imagine having those three Sundays in quick succession. That is (sighs) God-level TV programming. I might just do that myself in my my Sundays now one a week because mm. god damn it that is a run and a half bloody hell it really is I'm so oh boy I'm, dear god what a gift I know mean, we say it a lot but what a gift this, uh, it never it never gets old this is the thing it doing this podcast obviously we have so much fun but it's just the biggest joy that we get to talk about these episodes and that everyone mm-hmm. listening loves them as much as we do like it's the best it's the best thing mm. ever it really is ABC Murders, gold standard. Gold standard representative for um, the Poirot TV series. So far. So far. If you watch the ABC Murders, Wasp's Nest and Problem at Sea, I mean, you'd just be like, for want of a better word, jizzing into the answer. Oh, I would. I really, and I'd have, and I will. Wow. Yeah, no. It's It's so funny, though, when you think about that, and then you think, also, King of Clubs. How? How? No. <laughs> How? Thank you for bringing me back to Earth. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring you back to Earth in a minute as well, because I've got some quiz questions for you. Ooh. Do you want to do your answers first? Or do you okay. Want to do this is going to be the longest episode of all time, by the way. Welcome to season four. This is your very long special treat, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Give me, mm, give me. A bumper one this time. Okay. So, Frankie. Christopher Gunning was rewarded with a BAFTA for his music for Poirot in which year? A, 1989, B, 1990, or C, 1991. You said B, 1990. You're correct, Frankie. That's one point to you. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. In Belgium, which municipality claims to be the birthplace of Hercule Poirot? Was it A, Elzel, B, Andelect, or C, Kortenberg? You said A, Elzel. You are correct again, Frankie. You know, I could hear him saying it. I went into my mind, my mind palace, and I um, found him saying it. Nice, what a dark place. Uh, Number three, (laughs) uh, which date does a document at Eldale's claim is the birth date of Hercule Poirot? Is it A, April Fool's Day, B, Shrove Tuesday, or C, Christmas Day? You chose A, April Fool's Day. Correct again, Frankie, three for three. I remembered that from the the thing, because I was like, how ironic, because he's not a fool, he's a genius. Oh, cool. Good mnemonic. And number four, (laughs) which Poirot story was rewritten by Christie to feature Parker Pine as the investigating detective? Was it A, Market Basing Mystery, B, The Incident of the Dog's Ball, or C, The Regatta Mystery? Frankie, you guessed The Regatta Mystery on this one. And you're correct. Four for four. (laughs) Wow, you tease. That's good. Uh, Number five, Miranda Forbes, who played Mrs. Turton in the ABC Murders. Her first episode, was it A, Double Sin, 
B, triangle at Rhodes, or C, kidnap Prime Minister. You chose A, double sin. Correct. She played a landlady. So five for five, Frankie. This is my best run yet. I know. Six, in Triangle of Roads, the murder victim is named after a time of year. Was it A, June, B, Valentine, or C, April? You chose B, Valentine. Of course, that's correct. Well done. Six for six. Number seven, Johnny Waverley, the name of the pub. Was it A, the Lamb and Flag, B, the Bull and Butcher, C, the Stag and Arrow? You chose the Lamb and Flag, A. Uh, Unfortunately, you're wrong on that one. It was B, the Bull and Butcher. Ah, okay. That's okay. Number eight, how does your garden grow? Uh, Hastings pays a bill to who? Was it A, Mr. Trumper, B, Mr. Wickens, or C, Mr. Dalgleish? You chose A, Mr. Trumper. That's correct. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Wasp's Nest, what was the name of the chemist? A, Mrs. Henderson, B, Mrs. Belvedere, or C, Mrs. Harrison? You chose C, Mrs. Harrison. That is wrong, I'm afraid. It was A, Mrs. Henderson. Oh, it was between the two. Yeah, fair, fair. (laughs) They both sound a little bit alike. Yeah. Uh, number 10, double clue. He enlists the help of two private detectives. No point going through those. You chose C, Redfern and Blake. That was, of course, correct. C was correct. So, Frankie, you got eight out of ten, which is a stunning score. Well done. That's pure fluke. Wow. Thank you very much. What a great quiz. Good job, Adam. Thank you. That's a, that, that was a good quiz, was it? Well, I mean, because I did well in it. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been a terrible quiz. But now I'm going to test your memory. Interesting. Go on. Yeah, I'm stealing your format from a previous quiz, which I'm sure you remember, um, on our first Christmas special. I know, I know. Uh, You did a thing where I'm going to say the name of a character and you have to tell me what episode they're from. if, If you say, if you get it first time, it's two points. If you get it second name, it's one point. If you get it on the third one there's no points so it's a two point maximum five questions um okay. so ten, 10 points in total to keep to our agreement of scores so okay but some of these are quite easy i'm gonna do this because i'm not a monster um no but i don't think you will because you've obviously been looking at names to do your quiz so you might be better than you realize okay. we'll see are you ready number one yep. the first name i will give you is lady mayfield oh um it's it's the one where it's the spy one where no one does mm-hmm. oh Christ, what's it called um oh I'm not looking at no, I believe you I need I to know you. the episode names one second yeah yeah um, that's why I'm allowing I know, it <laughs> I'm sorry I'm not looking up I'm Whatever. looking on my plex I know which one it is but I can't mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's in season two I think it's called no it's not what happens in it break it it's down it's the one where it's the one where the lady turns out is a villain. She goes to the embassy. But well, what does she? What does she do? Oh, it's the plans for the, something that. What does she? Plans she what? The airship. She takes them. She steals the thing, and he he says that someone's run across the lawn. Yeah. And he didn't. Uh, but you oh, said you uh, said steal. You said steal. So what is that? The theft. The theft of the. The something theft. <laughs> the incredible theft. There we Thank go. You. Right. I'm going to some kind of submarine or something in the title. Yeah, the I'm giving effect. that to you, even though. Thank you that... very much. See, I'm nice when I quiz. You're nice. You do I'm nice. Fucking... I have to keep shouting that at people. Right. Number two. And mm. for two points, Frida Stanton. It's not ringing any bells. Give me another one. Okay. For one point, Jacob Radner. Oh, um, 
that was a something to do with Jules Jeweler. Mm-hmm. He's a Jacob Radner. I'm gonna go with the Plym- Plymouth Express. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna give you Mac. I'm gonna give you one more name because that's not right. Okay. And you'll get you'll get no points anyway, but I'll see if you can guess it. Edward Pengelly. Oh, Cornish Mystery. Oh, yeah. Of course, Jacob Radner was the cat owner guy, wasn't he? Yeah. I was shaking my head. Could you not see? <laughs> I was going, no, not Jules. I don't, I, I, yeah, I don't want, yeah, sorry. That's okay. Uh, okay, number three. The first name is David Wellen. Oh, this is a recent one. Yes. Um, David Wellen. It's not Hunter Lodge. It's not Victory Ball. Um, what other episodes are of season three? Uh, I'll go with Mystery of the Spanish Chest. Sounds no. I'll give you another name. I'll give you another name. Desmond Lee Wortley. Oh, um, yeah, I do know that. That is a uh, theft of the royal ruby. Correct. So that is one point for you. <laughs> it's hard. No, it is right. Okay, so this is what you did to me at our Christmas special, and I didn't do very well when I was listening back <laughs> to that. Uh, number four. Uh, the first name I'm going to give you is Lady Chatterton. Oh, um, Lady Chatterton. Um. Mystery of the Spanish Chest. Very good. Two points. <laughs> right. And last but not least, uh, the first name that I'm going to give you is Captain Black. Oh, no, I've got to know this one. Captain Black. I feel like I know that. Captain Black, Captain Black. Are these all season three? Not all. Yes, this one is, though. Captain Black. Didn't he fight you? No. Um... Do you like the second name? The second name, yes. I think you might get it. The second mm. name is Samuel Norton. Mr. Norton. Tragedy at Marsden Manor. Correct. There we go. Yes, One point. Yes, that's a pub owner, wasn't it? Yes. So you've got six. Oh, okay. Cool. That's fine. Six out yeah. of ten. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Hey. And how did you guys do at home on our quizzes, listeners? Did you do well? Do let us know on our social channels. We're uh, everywhere at Labours of Hercule. So find us, please. Yeah. Do send us emails and uh, get in touch. Even though we haven't been able to fit in everyone's email this time, I think you can understand why, because this episode is about 17 hours long already. We've had quizzes, we've had news, we've had correspondence, we've had the ABC murders. It's been a very packed show. So, yeah. Yes. But it doesn't mean we don't appreciate the correspondence. Please do keep sending it in. Yeah, we've been rocking and rolling all week long, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Grace, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Blue. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Yeah, it's been a great episode. Thank you very much for spending some time with me, Frankie. It's been a, a lovely, pleasure. lovely evening talking about... Uh, the ABC murders. We've been talking for three hours now. Yup. <laughs> yup. <laughs> we have. We have. We started yes. before we started recording. But yes, so it has been a very pleasant evening. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> and thank you for everyone that's listened up until the very end. That's impressive. <laughs> you made All, it. None of you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tens of listeners still counts. So thanks, everyone. We'll be back soon, won't yeah. we? With Death in the yes. Clouds. So yeah, Death in the Clouds, coming soon, along with our talk with Kenneth Branagh. Can't wait for that. I'm I'm sure the Frankie's really... Damn defensive, dirty swine. (laughs) Shaking my fist. You're damned offensive. Dirty swine. Pauline Moran. (gasps) uh, Miss Lemon herself, coming to the show next episode. So uh, yes, please do 
being as, as, as excited as we are. Rest assured, everyone, we're reading all of your comments, all of your questions, and we are going to be sure to tell her how beloved she is and how much you all love her because she deserves to know what a treasure she is, an icon mm. and a, just a national treasure. So international mm. treasure, people all over the world. Mm. So yeah, see you soon then, everyone. For a twist of lemon. And thank you for joining us for the ABC Murders. Get in touch. Bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com and... Thank you, Frankie. Thank you, Adam. Au revoir. (laughs) Au revoir. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever that numbskull's called it now at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And we're on threads at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, like I was, you can be all old-fashioned and email at bonjour at thelabourshercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.